everybody. Or in the case of myself, what's good, y'all? It's Chris Gary, Sandra Benjamin. You're locked into yet another special edition of the We Are Rising podcast, where we are basically the only English language podcast devoted to and actually caring about the Rising Fighting Federation, Japanese mixed martial arts, and other cool things like pop culture and other things that we normally shoot shit about. You can follow us on Twitter. The show podcast is, I mean, the show podcast Twitter account is at We Are Rising Pod, W E A R E R I Z I N P O D, all in one word. I'm on Twitter at ChrisGary92. Andrew Benjamin, who is on Twitter at ABenja1, A B E N J A 1, number one. I just gotta ask, who do we have today that interested in here well christian we have with us a very special guest someone who helped bring over the uwfi universal uh wrestling federation international uh to the united states you can actually watch that uh that version of uwfi on amazon prime uh under the title bushido way of the warrior with us we have uwfi announcer ted pelk Mr. Pelk, I appreciate you willing to talk to us today uh, on this uh, in the, in this crazy times. You know, I'm glad we have uh, time to talk about the UWFI. Hello, gentlemen. Hey. Uh, so yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how uh, how you got started in the pro wrestling world, and then you know how you eventually went to UWFI. Okay, actually, it wasn't with the UWFI, but it kind of was because this whole UWF movement actually. A lot of people don't know this, but the movement actually happened in the late 70s, like 1978, to be accurate. Mm -hmm. And it was right after, uh, it was shortly after the Muhammad Ali versus Inoki fight. Mm. And Inoki was telling all of his people that, I don't know when, and I don't know how, it could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be 20 years from now, but somewhere down the line, mixed martial arts is going to happen and we have to be prepared for it. And back in the day, pro wrestlers were known to be like the, that was like the ultimate contact system that was around because, you know, the boxers and kickboxers did their thing. And then you had like judo and amateur wrestlers and everything. But basically the catch as catch can based wrestlers were the ones who usually came up on top when they, when people went up against each other. And I mean, mixed matches were really, kind of obscure back then, but he knew he really tried to push him and everything. So he was already preparing for this <laughs> stuff and he wanted to make his first New Japan, official New Japan pro wrestling MMA fighter to be, uh, who would later become the original Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama. Mm. And uh, he was my teacher, I, my, my first martial arts coach and I, uh, he trained me during the 80s and everything. And so I kind of already at a young age, I was kind of with those guys with the original UWF. Now, when you people, when they talk about UWF, they talk about it as being pro wrestling or being a shoe promotion. But actually what UWF was, was it, it was supposed to be a time machine. And it was supposed to take like about 10 or 15 years to make this transition to make pro wrestling go to originally what it was like 50, 100 years ago the original sport and everything. That's why if you look at the original UWF, they, they even had Mexicans doing Lucha Libre on the card and everything. It started off as a regular pro wrestling promotion, 
and then they slowly were trying to change the style and they, it kept on going for a good 20 years and I'd I'd probably say, unfortunately, it ended with the Kingdom promotion and the Pancras promotion. It, it, it progressed to that point and then kind of shut off. Then, unfortunately, the, the movement kind of stopped there. Uh, when the UWF first started, they had a B-League, and that was the shooting, which is called Shuto now. You're familiar with the MMA Shuto? Mm-hmm. That was the B-League of UWF, and what they were going to do is, like, with the top stars, they were already pretty much trained, most of them, in New Japan. They were trained under like Billy Robinson and Carl Gotch and everything. But basically they did the regular style of strong style pro wrestling and everything. But with the B League, they wanted to raise a new team of fighters that they wouldn't teach traditional pro wrestling to. They would they would just strictly teach like catch as catch can, sambo, judo, kickboxing, and just have like a total like MMA roster of fighters so when they repl- when the old guys retired and they replaced them they would have those mma style wrestling that was the plan but it didn't work that way they ended up breaking off and the shooter organization broke off and uwf went its way and uh for that time being i was kind of with the shooter organization i was always with my teacher uh the original tiger mask and he was training me and it, it was kind of interesting because back in the 80s people didn't know what like Tiger Mask was teaching, he would talk to us about like Volatudo and, you know, he would talk, talk about, you know, mounting somebody and hitting. Nobody knew what that was. And he says, oh, it's, it's like from Brazil. And people said Brazil and they're like, what, like Capoeira or something. And it's like, no, 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 this is a different thing. And he would teach us about this. And we were just sitting there with our mouths hanging open because pretty much nobody knew about that stuff back then. You know, I see. I, I but, got, uh, so, like, I mean, when you look at the UFC, nothing, not too much of that is original or anything because we were using an octagon from the mid-80s. We were using the open finger gloves. We started talking about it. How can we do something where we can wrestle and punch? Hey, you remember in Enter the Dragon when Bruce Lee in the opening scene had those gloves that he could grab with and hit with? Yeah, maybe something like that. Which, by the way, after doing it, I'm not a big fan of the open finger gloves. I think in MMA they should do it bare knuckle. Mm. It's it's a lot more dangerous with those gloves. You take a lot more damage to the brain. To the spectator, it looks safer. You know, bare knuckle fighting seems like really deadly, but actually, bare knuckle fighting isn't as deadly as people think. Because if you look at boxing or kickboxing, I knew a lot of people I work with, and in in a, in a few years they got punchy, and they had trouble talking. They started stuttering, but I knew like. You know, when I went to school, like these classroom bullies that we had from grade school, junior high, and high school, they've had 300 bare-knuckle fights. Every time the 3 o'clock bell hit at school, they were punching each other in the heads. They graduated. Nobody got punched. Nobody got punchy. Nobody got punched drunk or what we used to call punch drunk back in the days. And yet they weren't even skilled professionals, and nobody seemed to get hurt from that. And I found out that actually with the glove, it's, it's much more dangerous. Plus, if you have a glove, you can hit that. You don't have to worry about your own wrist. You can just fire away at will, and uh, it, it protects you. I think it's a lot safer. It was good in the UFC when they originally started bare knuckle. I thought it was a lot safer. Mm-hmm. It looks messier because on the first punch, you know, you get all sw- swollen up and you start bleeding and everything. So to the spectator, if you don't know what's going on, it looks a lot more violent, but actually it isn't. Mm-hmm. I think boxing is a lot more dangerous if you look at the statistics as far as getting hit in the head. Anywhere, where was I? Yeah, so anyway, yeah, we were already using an octagon. We, we made an octagonal ring 
at first we were thinking about a cage because obviously in pro wrestling you have cage matches and everything but we thought that for an entire promotion for the spectators to have to look through wire mesh that that would be irritating to somebody who's used to looking at ring fighting so we had like a ring that was shaped in an octagon and we're using the open finger gloves and i i believe that the shooto we were in the 80s probably the first mma group out there trying to do it the ufc didn't oh, come along in 93 I mean, that y'all were because back in the day, Shudo pretty much was the innovators of professional MMA. And I'm sorry for interrupting, even though it's kind of my motif, it's kind of my thing. But still, many people tend to forget that there was mixed martial arts before the UFC. I mean, obviously, Pancrase came around about a year before the UFC started, and Shudo came around as a legit promotion probably five to ten years beforehand. Yeah, and we were already working on it even before we started the thing. We were trying to put this stuff together. And, uh, you know, the last time, you know, uh, I, I was having a beer and having dinner with Lou Thez because he was one of the coaches on UWFI and everything. God rest his soul. Uh, he was talking about, like, how he fought Jersey Joe Walcott. So you can find that stuff, probably can find it on YouTube or some of the black and white stuff. So there were mixed matches happening for a long, long time before that. Not not like the MMA that we're used to today because MMA has become its own sport. When we said MMA back in the old days, it was always a mixed match. It was like a boxer versus a wrestler or a karate guy versus a Muay Thai guy or an amateur wrestler versus, I don't know, a Taekwondo guy. It was always style versus style. You mean kind of like that Antonio Inoki Leon Spinks fight that happened in '86? Yeah, that was a disaster in my. But you know, I had trouble too because I tried to put together uh, Nobuhiko Takata versus Trevor Burbank, and it ended up being a disaster. It's very hard to make oh. those matches because we can never agree on the rules. Nobody's ever happy, and uh, usually with boxing and wrestling, kickboxing and wrestling, there is a chance that it can be an entertaining fight for the spectator, but generally boxing versus wrestling, it never turns out well. I kind of figured that a, a lot of people, uh, these, uh, that uh, it, it, after Inoki and Ali, which may be, you know, the most memorable mixed fight of all time, and just how bad it went over, uh, I figured that, you know, that might try to kill all future uh, types of mixed matches, just because... Yeah, if you want to talk about all the rules and just, like, things going back and forth, apparently uh, that fight, and I know that Josh Gross in his book about Anoki versus Ali talks about it, just, like, Ali had all these uh, requests, Anoki had all these requests, nothing could come to an agreement, and so that's why the fight was mostly Anoki just doing things on the, on the uh, kicking from the, from the butts. Well, 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 what happened was it, it was a fight that never happened because yeah. nobody could agree to the rules and they went in without rules so nobody could do anything and everybody hated the fight because, it, I mean, if you look at the fight, to tell you the truth, I mean, that's the kind of fight you want to watch when you can't go to sleep and you've run out of sleeping pills. But the funny thing is, like, 20 years later, when everybody got the real story of what went on behind, all of a sudden everybody looks at that as being a great fight. And in fact... Uh, uh, this month on the 26th, we're going to have uh, our uh, Real Japan Pro Wrestling uh, promotion. Uh, we're going to do it without people because of the coronavirus, but we're going to film it, and it's going to be on Niko Niko Doga. But that's known as Kaktogi no Hi because it was Muhammad Ali versus 
Inoki happened on the 26th, so we're having our promotion without any crowd. We're just going to film the matches, and uh, you, know, you can see them on the internet. But mm -hmm. uh, that's the that's the big martial arts day because that's when it's happened, and that's going to be yeah on the 26th of this month. Uh, I've got to ask, you know, you did say that you were a student of Sayama, and I, you always hear these stories, and uh, you probably know about the infamous video of him being, uh, shall we say, phys very physically harsh. With his, yeah, that's the uh, way students. he was with all of us. That was basically almost like, um, but you know something? It wasn't him. New Japan did the same thing. Everybody did mm -hmm. the same thing. Carl Gutch was that way. It was the old military style. That that was the style. And even if you look at the cartoons and everything about how they train people, if you look at all the Japanese old cartoons from the 70s, that's the way it was done. Because, uh, but you know something? You know, if you just look at that, it, it, it it's... If you just take that one piece and show it to people, it looks like something horrible. But if you live the lifestyle, and I was one of those guys in there getting my ass kicked the whole time, he, he would shut it off right away. As soon as practice was finished, he'd say, okay, hey, good job, guys, and everything. He says, come on, let's go out and he'd buy me dinner and everything, and we just laugh and talk about things and everything. But during training, it was like that. Mm. But it wasn't mean. And a lot of it was an act, too, because he was trying to get us on our toes. He was trying to pump up our adrenaline. Plus, he always said, you know, fighting is a dangerous sport. If you really take it easy, it's dangerous because if people go into this thing, they have to know what they're going into. And not only do you have to be strong physically, you have to be strong mentally as well. The mental part of fighting is just as big as the physical part. You have to – it's a set. It mm -hmm. comes hand in hand. And that's just the way it's done. That's the way it was always – and – Nowadays, they're not doing it, and nowadays, we're not producing as many great fighters, and we don't have as many big names in the business like we did in the old days. Mm -hmm. So I'm a firm believer of that kind of Spartan kind of stuff that was passed down from, like, Carl Gotch did it to the guys, and it got passed down and everything. But, you know, you can say whatever you want to say about it, but uh, look at the product that they produced back in the day when they were training like that. And when you say the product, you mean, you mean uh, MMA, pro wrestling, both of them? Well, like in Japan, to tell you the truth, like when you looked at those videos and everybody says how horrible it is, but you had to be there. I was there. I was one of those people there. It wasn't only pro wrestling and things. Basically in Japan, whether you were in baseball or volleyball, it was tough. It was pretty much like that. Even the girls and things, you would see coaches like throwing a ball right in their face when they were passed out or something and being really nasty and everything. But you have to remember something. It's not like we're, you know, kept there as captains. We all wanted to be there. We all wanted to better ourselves. We all wanted to get tougher. And anybody could walk out of the door whenever they wanted. We, we, we decided to stay there by choice. Mm. You know, we wanted to go through with the program. It would help you all improve, so to speak. Yeah, and, um, it, it, you know, I, I'm not going to say it was the most... I mean, he was very scientific. He was, he was ahead of the curve. I'll, I'll say with Tiger Mask, he was always 10 years ahead of his time. What he had us doing and everything, nobody ever heard for about until the next 10, 15 years. He was really, I mean, he was talking to me about like Volatudo and all this stuff and the Brazilian stuff. He was actually in the New Japan Dojo back in the 70s. They actually brought in a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy. In addition to like having like Carl Gotch and Billy Robinson training the catch as catch can, they had this guy called Gomez or something that they brought over from Brazil and they trained with him. They had a lot of different people they were training. They didn't talk about that because whatever happened in the dojo was secret. But that was already back in the 70s they had that on their mind. 
Mm-hmm. And Enoch is saying that in, I don't know, in 5, 10, or 20 years, we're going to have MMA is going to take over the world, so we have to be prepared for that. So, And that was back in the 70s, and by the 80s, we were, you know, Tiger Mask was already starting to build up that shooter organization in the sport. A lot of people are shocked at the name. Shuto is just a Japanese pronunciation for shoot, and that's an old wrestling lingo. You know what that means, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So they took, they took the word shoot from pro wrestling and say, okay, this is a shoot. So Shuto is just a Japanese pronunciation of shoot. That's just old wrestling lingo. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. Uh... So we started, we called the, the it was the shooting organization, and then, then they changed the name to Shuto, but basically it's shoot. It's just the same thing. It's the word that came from pro wrestling that's been around forever. Gotcha, gotcha. So with UWFI, can uh, what was uh, did you have any involvement? Were you, did you know anything about when Akira Maeda did had his initial version of UWF? Well, there was the original UWF when yeah. they broke off from New Japan and they started the new organization. Uh, and uh, then you had the second incarnation of the UWF, which was called Shinte UWF, mm-hmm. and then. Just, I happened to be in Hawaii, and I, actually I was working for The Rock's grandmother at the time in Hawaii, believe it or not. And I, and I, I, I got a call from uh, Kazuo Yamazaki who said, uh, well, the second UWF, we're all splitting up now, too, and it's going to be in three companies. We're going to have Rings, UWF International, and Fujiwara Gumi. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, and I, I, I was just graduating from college. I didn't know if I wanted to stay in Hawaii. I didn't know if I wanted to go back home to New York or go to mainland or go back to japan i didn't know what i was going to do with myself but just at that time i happened to get contacted by yamazaki who was i was friendly with because yamazaki was a tiger mask protege he was his apprentice for a long time and uh, he said we're starting up what do you want to do so i made my decision so in, in june of 1991 i came back to work for the uwfi and that's how it happened Gotcha, gotcha. And then I ended up doing a whole bunch of things. Actually, my father was starting. My father was helping at the time, and he was in Japan because my father was working for Marvel Comics and Marvel Productions at the time. That's what brought him over to Japan. So, but then I had gone to college to Hawaii, and then I got the call over. So we get says, "Oh, we're getting calls and everything. You want to get in contact with your old guys?" I used to because I, I I knew the guys from the gym and everything. And uh, so I decided to come back. Yeah, that's what brought me back to Japan was basically the UWFI. There was that one call from Yamazaki that said that, uh, well, the second incarnation of the UWF is splitting up into three, and I'm going to be starting up a new company with Takata. Do you want? Would you like to come and help us out? So I came back. I ended up helping with a lot of matchmaking because we had on UWFI, we also had the kickboxing, not just pro wrestling, but we had kickboxing on the card. Actually, I think we're the only pro wrestling organization that held two legitimate world kickboxing titles. They were with the ISKA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we did mixed matches. And uh, so we set that up. And then also we set up the TV. So I, I was working on the Bushido, the Way of the Warrior series for like England and Europe. And then we worked for, we did the shoot wrestling, it's real pay-per-views for mm-hmm. the United States at the time. Mm, I see. Now about those three pay-per-views, of course, those three pay-per-views I'm talking about were the one that took place in Osaka on October 4th, 1993. In that was Osaka, the first one. Yeah. In, yeah, the second one that took place at Osaka Joe Hall or Osaka, or Osaka Castle Hall 
mm-hmm. April 3rd, 1994. And the, and the third and final event took place in Tokyo, June 10th, 1994. And I think that when it came down to it, you weren't on commentary for either one of these three events, even though you would have been easily the best option had they not gotten somebody from New York that was just, you know, trying to be a pompous ass for the camera, but still... Actually, what happened was I ended up becoming the, uh, the, I did the color for the Bushido, the European series. And uh, on the first shoot wrestling, it was Jim Doherty and actually my father, if you look at it, you can see it on YouTube. It was my father doing, who used to be a disc jockey for Wall Radio in New York back in the day when radio did mean something. And on the second one, it was my father and Bob Papa, who's known for doing a lot of commentary on back in the day for boxing. And then on the third one, I actually, uh, we, we used uh, Jeff Blatnick, if you remember that name. Oh, uh, yeah, the guy who basically coined the phrase mixed martial arts to American viewers, may he rest in peace. Yeah, and actually we got them, and it was an introduction to Gary Albright, who said, if you want to get somebody who knows what he's talking about, because I was looking for somebody. And Sam Rosen was a great play-by-play guy. He, I guess he did ice hockey and everything back in the day and uh so jeff bladnick had a great story too i mean he had like cancer and everything he overcame cancer became the gold medalist in the 84 <clears throat> then we had him do uh, our, our third shoot wrestling pay-per-view and then i guess the ufc liked it so much they decided to hire him after that to be their commentator and somehow he became their commissioner after that but we were the first to use him <laughs> but as far as these three events were concerned, the three events that I just mentioned the dates for, and they're on YouTube if you want to watch it, you can search under UWFI pay-per-view on you, I mean UWFI on YouTube, but still, when it came down to these three events, mm-hmm. do you think that if it would have been promoted well, if it would have been sold well, if it would have been hyped well, because I think that in the final pay-per-view you had an intro with Gary Albright, Axon Jim Duggan, and the late Lou Duva, who is one of the most famous boxing trainers in the world, but did you think that if it would have been put over the right way, it would have, I mean, there would have been a possible boom for the UWFI in North America, not just the U.S. and Canada? I think if we would have hung on, it would have done very well. And to tell you the truth, it wasn't, we didn't stop doing those pay-per-views because it was a failure or anything. Actually, we did pretty well, and there was talk about a fourth one. But then by that time, uh, you know, a lot of stuff was going on, and you, you know what happened after that, pretty much. It's, uh, you, everybody knows yeah, what happened. But actually, those, those pay-per-views did relatively well. And I think if I, I think there was always a I think even today if it's done right it's I think it's an interesting style. There's so much MMA out there, and back in the day when you did stuff like that, a lot of people in the Western Hemisphere, unless you were a fighter or a wrestler or a grappler, a lot of people didn't even know what real submission holds were. Submission holds didn't mean anything. Like boxing has such a long, rich history. Everybody understands boxing. I think kickboxing is okay. a very exciting sport, but. Whoever was running it, it, it was just, they, they didn't promote it well because kickboxing should have been a much bigger hit for much earlier on in the States. Mm-hmm. But it, exactly. it, just, it just didn't seem to be the way they were doing it, uh, the way they were promoting it. It's, 
It seemed that like in the states, it was it was only like uh, the WWE or the WWF back in the day, what they called it. Uh, it I mean, come to think of it, when it came down to kickboxing back in the day, it was like if it wasn't shown on ESPN, it wasn't worth mm. shit. And you really didn't have an established champion, and there was too many titles out there. People laugh at pro wrestling for having too many titles, but to tell you the truth, kickboxing has a lot more titles than uh, pro wrestling. It's very confusing. It's like, if I ask you, who's the heavyweight kickboxing champion right now? I don't think anybody can answer that question. Well, actually, they would basically answer. I mean, in some parts of the world, they would say it's either Rico Verhoeven or Father Harley. <laughs> but other than that, they probably give you a blank stare. <laughs> no, I think I think if you ask ten people, probably eight people would give you a different answer, and two people would say, "I don't have a clue." Yeah. Some might even <laughs> some might even say they didn't even know that kickboxing was a sport. They just thought it was. They thought it. Was, they just thought that it's like part of Thai Bo or something. And a lot of people don't understand what kickboxing is because, you know, if you ask a Thai guy, it's Muay Thai, but then you ask, like, in Japan, you have your Japanese-style kickboxing, you have, like, shootboxing and other forms of it. And, like, in the States, like, like that old PKA rules where you were only allowed to kick above the waist. And even when we were with ISK, they were talking about we have the Muay Thai rules, we have the full contact rules, we have the Oriental rules, and they have... So right there you have like about five champions for the same weight class. Then you have the world champion, then the European champion, then the this champion, te television champion. So you end up having so many world champions, it's it's hard. Like in the old days with boxing, they knew how to promote it. You knew that Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay or Sonny Liston or Joe Frazier or Mike Tyson, you knew they were, even if you weren't a boxing fan, you knew who the champion was. Mm -hmm. But, like, with kickboxing, they never got to that point where they could establish something that, like, you know, was like a household name that, oh, he's recognized as the, you know, cream of the crop thing. They they never, that that wasn't the fighter's fault. I think that was the promotion's fault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, when it comes to kickboxing, like, the name that I, that I seem to, that gets passed around most often, that's most known in America, this is going way back. Is mm -hmm. Benny the Jet Urquidez in terms of yep. American kickboxers, but for the most part, like Christian said, you know, most of the kickboxers, if they are known, are they they're from uh, Holland. Uh, mm -hmm. Right now, you can maybe make the argument that maybe the most famous kickboxer in the world right now is from Japan, Tenshin Nasakawa. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, the only reason why he got famous, Tenshin, was because he was put in a uh, very, uh, shall we say, precarious. Not so, I would... It was pretty much a shit show bout against Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> and that was back on New Year's Eve 2017. Um, when, I was, when I was still kickboxing, you know, in Japan, everybody was talking about Rob Kaman, but uh, when, I went, when I went to the States, everybody says, no, Dennis Alexios is a thing, and it's like wherever you went, everybody had a different thing. Yeah, Benny the Jet was big in Japan back in the day, even though, you know, he lost over here like a couple times and everything, but yeah. I guess that was pre-internet, so he's still undefeated. I also there. think the, the one of the problems with kickboxing also is records also, because, they, you know, like you said, there, there's there's so many belts, but also, you know, you got kickboxing, like, rules are different in, in, Moy, in Thailand, uh, where, you know, you got, you got someone who's like 17 years old who has like 200 wins and 72 losses, and then, you know, that's a problem that kickbox, you know, unlike boxing, you know, managed to become kind of like centralized. It, it, it was kind of, it, it was 
it was easy to, to you know, get records, to, you know, make sanctioning things and all that stuff. But the problem with kickboxing is that it just is so different everywhere. Different rules, different commissions, different everything. So No, you have to work for NASA and be a brain surgeon to be able to figure out that whole ranking system. Because as much as I was in it, I get confused too. And then when I talk to like a commissioner of one of these bodies, they don't know either. So uh, it, it's it's really kind of tough. It's got, kind of got fragmented. They really have to pull it back together, try to unify things, and they have to get rid of a whole bunch of titles because anybody can start a company, go to a trophy shop, make a belt, and put it on their best guy. That's not a world champion. That's just the claim. You're claiming to be world champion. But until you actually take on all those competitors from the world and you defend that belt, that that belt really means something. And I think that, uh, yeah, we... That, that that problem's still out there that uh yeah a lot of these world championship titles it's a claim it's not really a legitimate world title because mm -hmm. you have to compete against everybody to prove yourself mm -hmm. um and i'll say this you know without uh, getting too off topic i think that for the most part in mixed martial arts and in pro wrestling many titles have been way too devalued to the point that it doesn't even matter who's a champion at this point so, and I think in some forms of pro wrestling, I think the belt isn't even important. I remember in the old days, it was a big deal. Oh, who's who's the champion? Who's going to get the belt? And I think it, it comes to a point that it really doesn't matter if you win or lose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just the gimmick that you're kind of portraying. And I think the titles have become secondary. At least they're not as a title. A title doesn't mean as much in pro wrestling as it did, like say, thirty or forty years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, so actually speaking of tiles, so UWFI had only, well, uh, two champions, uh, but three reigns. Uh, two of them being uh, Nobuhiko Takata and the other one being uh, Vader. So uh, yes. can you tell us now, um, was there any, can you tell us if there was any point where they were planning to have anybody else besides these two as champion had uh, UWFI continued on um, and not had, had unfortunately shut down? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. After the Vader thing, uh, kind of, uh, you know, the direction kind of started to split up, didn't it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, okay. they, you know, they ended up going and uh, doing that co-promotion with New Japan and everything. And it kind of like, it, it, it kind of, well, this is my personal opinion, mm -hmm. that it kind of, we kind of like uh, went off course for, you know, the movement. We, we were saying that for 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to take to re-educate the crowd. To like this product that's so old that it's new, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, it kind of kind of like regressed, kind of like when they went back because it was like the second time that UWF returned to Japan. Because you remember after the first UWF fell apart, they returned to New Japan. Then they split off again, started the second one, and then it split off into three, and then they ended up coming back again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, at that point, it's it's really hard to tell. And the reason why we brought Vader was just for credibility, because he was the WCW champion. And like I said, UWF wasn't still at the stage. Although by UWFI, it was pretty much we were going in the right direction that we wanted to go for things to evolve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was started. It was finally, finally by UWFI. It was finally started getting to the close to that style that we were after. But it was like a time machine. So we figured that we had to like, like fight people from all eras. I mean, even at one point we threw the Iron Sheik in because you know he was an Olympian at one time. Mm -hmm. but I think, but I think that's one of the things I lo I love about UWFI. Partly, yeah, 
you see, I guess, people who you consider, uh, you know, whatever, the a modern idea of a pro wrestler being put in a match that's not your typical, quote, pro wrestling match, as well as having people who uh, you never really saw on a big stage. Like, we talked to Steve Nelson. We talked mm-hmm. to Mark Fleming, who, you know, he, he was just, uh, you know, he was just kind of like, uh, he, was, he wasn't doing any of the, of the big matches for the... Uh, um, promotions he was working for, but when he came to UWFI, you know, we this guy, you think this guy, oh my god, this guy's a fucking monster, uh, Mark Fleming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, yeah, people he like... He was great. Yeah, all of those guys were great, but we weren't just, like, picking out people just because they had, like, name value. I mean, we took people like Bob Backlund, but, you know, he was a great wrestler, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, what well, that was one reason why we used Bad News Allen, or I guess people in the West know him as Bad News Brown, or whatever his run he had with the WWF at the time. Because, I mean, he was an Olympic medalist, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's that was probably, like, my when I... I would definitely say my, fav, my favorite pro wrestler going to into UWFI uh, uh, pro wrestler was, was Bad News Allen. Seeing him actually do all that judo stuff. You know, putting the character crap behind him and just coming across as as he's always should have been a badass. And you know, I mean, one of his things that we had at the Jingu Baseball Stadium when he uh, Sakuraba was really young and green at that point, but you remember Sakuraba broke into the business with us mm-hmm. with UWFI. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, his, his I still enjoy that match, that Sakuraba Allen match. That was a great match. If you remember seeing that one, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, Bad News Allen, he definitely was for real. Obviously, at that point, he, he had already peaked. He was way beyond his prime and everything. But he knew a lot, and he had a lot of stuff to t- teach some of the young guys too, mm-hmm. as far as technique-wise and dojo and stuff. So, I mean, he he was certainly legit that guy. Mm-hmm. Hey, yo, well, actually- even, I mean, forget about the fact that he was an Olympic medalist. He got he got like the bronze medal in judo in 1976, I think, at the Montreal Olympics or something. But even if you're not a, a you know a medalist, so to speak, if you've made it to the Olympics, you're definitely for real if mm-hmm. you get to that level. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about also uh, the Russian fighter that you got? Like, I, I, he's kind of become kind of a little bit of a cult figure thanks to the Street Fighter game Zangief. Um, yeah, Victor. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, excellent, excellent freestyle and Greco-Roman style wrestler. All of those guys were that Salman Hashimikov and mm-hmm. uh, the other guys we have. They they, they were really good. Mm-hmm. Vladimir Berkovich was good at one point, but I think by the time he got to UWFI, I, his conditioning wasn't that good in my opinion. But the other guys were in great condition when they came over. Mm-hmm. I'm just and, uh, excellent wrestlers. So the the backstage atmosphere with the Americans kind of hang out. The Americans, the Russians hang out. The Russians, Japanese hang out. The Japanese was that kind of what the uh, is that how the back backstage atmosphere was for uh, UWFI? Pretty much, but everybody was pretty friendly. I mean, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna name names, but there was like a you know they everybody did have a history. Mm-hmm. You know, like Gary Albright had already gone up against Hashimikov in college for amateur wrestling before they even became got into the business and oh, everything. Wow. So, you know, everybody had like a history with each other, mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, well, like even like Dan Severn and things, he, you know, he he had his amateur career and he ran into a whole bunch of a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. Gary Albright, I mean, he's beaten Jeff Blatnick at. You know, amateur wrestling several times, even though he didn't go to the Olympics and everything. And uh, Gary's like 
he's beaten the Steiners, but uh, and a whole bunch of other people. But this was all amateur. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's a very small world. So even when you break in the business and become pro and you run into a whole bunch of other guys, generally you guys pretty much have a history from the amateur days. I see, I see. But everybody was, you know, prof very professional and polite and cordial and everything. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's true. I'd, I'd, I'd go out with the Japanese guys and I'd go out with the American guys. Uh, I didn't go out with the Russian guys because uh, my father can speak Russian, but I can't speak Russian, so... Uh, <laughs> There was a communication problem there, but we always smiled, shook hands, mm -hmm. everything was fine. Uh, did you ever feel that there was some sort of, like, uh, I guess, nationalistic competition whenever it would be, like, a match between uh, Japanese versus American, American versus Russian, or something along those lines? Did you ever feel that there was something like that kind, just like that innate nationalistic competition to kind of do better, if you, know, if you get what I'm saying? Personally, I didn't feel a nationalistic it was more personal, mm. I think. I, I, I really didn't feel the country thing, the, you know, America versus whatever thing. I, I, I Even in the dojo or the competition, I, I never really felt that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think you feel more of that in an amateur atmosphere, but uh, once, once you're getting paid as a professional, like, I, you know, a lot of the promotion likes to push it as, like, country versus country, but I think that's more of a promo thing. Uh -huh. It's not an individual thing. I think that's more of an amateur sentiment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, uh, I want to get your thoughts on uh, something that Mark Fleming said in an interview that I thought was very, very interesting. Uh, he had said that on the feet, the matches were a work, but on the ground, it was a shoot. And what do you, uh, is that something that you can say, you know, yeah, you know, as soon as they got to the ground, suddenly, you know, it's becoming... Almost like a grappling competition, and like uh... we have to remember, there was a lot of pride and things going on yeah. there. So, and then I've heard the opposite. I, I heard that when it's on the ground, it was a work, and then when it was standing, it was a shoot. Oh god, a lot of things. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, it's not just pro wrestling. You go to anything. You can go to the K one or other things. You know, a lot of stuff goes on. And remember, like I said, with the UWFI, mm. it was like a time machine. It wasn't like this one style. We were trying to re-educate. The crowd, like I said, when UWF started, we were even having Mexicans mask wrestler luchadors doing, you know, lucha libre and everything when it started. So it was a gradual process. But by the time it was UWF, I we were pretty much going in the right direction. Mm. I, I, it's it's a pity that the the Brazilians with the jiu-jitsu kind of took over the movement. Mm. I would have liked to see it go our way, the more of the catch as catch can way, because I think in maybe five or ten years uh, we would have had a completed style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there any? Uh, I, I don't know if you can say or you want to say, but I'll get. I'll. I'll leave it up to you. Were there any wrestlers that you tried to get a hold of for UWFI, but for some reason you just couldn't, or they declined, or uh, anything that you could talk about that? Well, we wanted to get somebody with a legitimate amateur or legitimate like a uh, background in any kind of contact sport. There are several guys I would like to see over there. You know, like Dr. Um, Steve Williams, he was, he was a legitimate badass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was it also why y'all got that Dennis Keselowski guy that competed in the 96 Olympics? Yeah, he was a great wrestler. Actually, his twin brother was working for Fujiwara Gumi, Dwayne Keselowski. Oh, right, and right. 
everybody can't I'm, tell the difference because they're identical twins and they look exactly the same. <laughs> if you look at Dwayne and Dennis, they they look you can't tell them apart because there's like some videos you can find where they're sparring with each other and you can't tell which one is which. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, but Dennis actually he I think he got the bronze in '88 at Seoul and then uh, at Barcelona he got the silver medal mm -hmm. in heavyweight division. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and which one of, and I forgot which one competed in Atlanta in '96. Was it Dwayne or Dennis? The one who got the medal was Dennis. Oh, okay. I but I, I think they both. I think they both competed. But I believe that it was only Dennis that um, medaled in wrestling. Right, right. But still, when it came down to the amount of, you know, amateur talent that competed for the UWFI, did you guys kind of feel that, you know, they would have excelled in something else that they would have never even thought of given, you know, this stuff, I mean, this UWFI stuff a try? I don't know. We, we always liked amateur wrestlers and everything because we always felt, I don't know, if you look back in history, actually amateur wrestling came from pro wrestling. Pro wrestling has a long rich history but amateur wrestling really doesn't have much of a history if you look into it actually i think if you go back far enough even in the olympics they used to refer to it as catch as catch can until they switched the name to like freestyle and greco-roman and then they had folk style and all that other stuff so all the all the techniques that you see in amateur wrestling today they they originally came from pro wrestling just that pro wrestling is not using a lot of that technique anymore mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we kind of always felt that they were family, so to speak, if you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. So we always had a soft spot for, like, uh, freestyle and Greco-Roman, but also for, like, Sambo and Judo, because we thought Sambo was a very effective. If you look at a lot of the, the submissions, like in the UWF style, it's not all catch as catch can. Certain things like the Achilles tendon hold and other things came from Sambo. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you talked about a little bit about Sakuraba as a young boy. But I also would like to uh, ask you about uh, another infamous, well, uh, young but very tall boy, uh, Yoshihiro Takayama. Yeah, he, he, he started with us too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hey, can you just talk about, uh, any, did you have any interactions with him uh, while he was a young boy? Oh yeah, actually if you look at some of those old videos, if you see as a cornerman, like with the kickboxing, it was me and Takayama, as, uh, we, were, we were the cornermen for some of the fighters during like the kickboxing things and uh well we, we, we were kind of like one little family mm. so to speak so like i i knew him since he broke in did you said, did you I, follow yeah, him uh when he started on his pro wrestling career uh an mma career yeah well you know after uwf broke up you know we weren't professionally together but we still now and then we could run in each other and always be friendly he's a great guy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, unfortunately, he's uh, he's kind of been bedridden for the past two years. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, oh we are unfortunately you know. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, that, that reminds me also. If anybody wants to donate to the Takayama Fund, that is a fund for that Minoru Suzuki has created to help uh, with uh, Mr. Takayama's uh, medical bills. Uh, you can easily find it online, and I believe I believe it's through uh, Christian. You know about the Takayama Fund. Is that through uh, PayPal, I believe? Um, yeah, and also when it comes down to that, it's not only 
you know, funded by Minoru Suzuki. It also was created by a guy I know pretty well and Roy Lucier out of California. Oh, yes. Oh, I forgot Roy Lucier. Yeah. Um, but still, it's on PayPal. I'll probably send the link to you, Andrew, and you can work it out in post-production. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, Ted, I just want to also get your, your thoughts on modern pro wrestling. Do you watch any pro wrestling at all, whether it be American or Puro? The, the yeah, I, I watch not as much as I used to. I only watch something generally when I'm involved with it. And now I'm working with Real Japan Pro Wrestling, and I'm I'm with that organization right now officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and- I, I do watch wrestling. It has certainly changed over the years, hasn't it? Uh, we, uh, would you call it a positive or negative or, or, or? It depends how you look at it. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it seems like, you know, there was a pro wrestling industry and it was making a lot of money, but I don't see that now. And I see a lot less pro professional wrestling and I see a lot more sports entertainment. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't view pro wrestling and sports entertainment as being the same sport. It's a different sport to me. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, do you do you think that's because of a company like WWE, which basically has come out and said that you know, yeah, that we're not a pro wrestling organization since they are number one by by default just because of their size and how much money they make. That's based. It's basically kind of like a perception is reality thing. When they when they say that we're not pro wrestling, that's what everybody else who's outside the pro wrestling world. Can, to tell you the truth, I don't think that back in the day a lot of people thought that they would kill a business. But I didn't <laughs> think at that point, especially with that style, I don't think breaking kayfabe, I didn't see that as a threat really that much. Because, hey, people like daytime soap operas that are phony as hell <laughs> and it gets ratings, right? It doesn't matter what you're presenting. If, if something is done right, you'll have fans. People will follow it. Whether it's a movie or a TV show or a cartoon... Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's so much being real or not being real or being entertainment that's really an issue. It's how you present it, because when you, wouldn't you much rather see like an entertaining work than than a shoot that's going to put you to sleep? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's just my take on it. And if you're present, and I think that as long as you're like honest with the crowd, it doesn't matter which one it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think with, like, WWE style or certain other entertainment styles, I don't think reality is even an issue anymore. Well, do you think that's also maybe a, 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 a problem? Is that when you're saying that you're that, that everything that you're, that, that like, WWE, which which I would argue, they, they don't care about titles. There's no one there as a star. Everybody there is interchangeable. There's, there's no one that, that's different from the pack. And you're basically saying, oh, yes, nothing here matters. That kind of just rubs off and, you know... Well, it yeah. depends because, like, I mean, if you're sports entertainment, you can go in that direction. But if you claim to be pro wrestling, you should do a pro wrestling hmm. style, whatever that style is. Hmm. I don't even know that's going to be pro uh, sports entertainment. Like, to me, DT is, a, is sports entertainment, like, like yeah. done correctly. Or Hustle. No, not Hustle. Uh, yeah, Hustle. Uh, from uh, early, the early uh, 2000s. Um yeah. That to me is when you can do when you can take just all that and make it into quote sports entertainment. Problem with or the promotion like WWE is that as an entertainment promotion, it's just bad because there's nothing consistent at all from a sports perspective. There's nothing sports about it because you know wins and losses don't matter. So I'm 
I don't see where there's sports or where there's entertainment. In a I, I think it's a sport because if you can consider gymnastics as being a sport or having a beauty pageant being a legitimate contest, you're generally it's people with their subjective sense of what's beautiful or what's good deciding who it's not like you're really competing to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, if certain things are considered, I consider it to be, it's very athletic. So it's a sport in that sense. And to tell you the truth over the years, if you take all of the shoot matches, and I'm talking about boxing, kickboxing, judo, amateur wrestling, shoot wrestling, whatever, whatever. And you combine that. And then you look at it to the statistics of worked wrestling. How many more deaths have happened in the past 50 years in a worked environment than a shoot environment? How many people actually die in a shoot? I mean, you talk about pro wrestling or like, you know, entertainment pro wrestling. Look how many deaths have in-ring deaths and people, you know, getting paralyzed in a ring in in a work situation compared to, I mean, obviously the Olympics has been around for as long as it has, so I'm sure it's happened, but I've never, ever seen anybody die in an amateur wrestling or a judo match in the Olympics. I've never seen that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And yet, when you're talking about entertainment wrestling, it constantly happens. People are constantly getting injured. So, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people snicker and laugh. Oh, who? If it's fake, how can anybody get hurt? In my opinion, I've seen a lot more people get seriously injured and maimed and killed in a work environment than a shoot environment. I think a real fight is a lot safer mm-hmm. yeah. if you have a good set of rules and everything. Because you look at how many deaths happen in sports entertainment and how many injuries happen. How many people have died in the UFC since 93 in the cage? I think it's zero. Is that was, uh, Christian? In, twen- in 20 years, how many people have died in the UFC? Christian, it's got to uh, be zero. Not that many, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, how many people have uh, died in sports entertainment over the past 20 years? Tens of thousands. The same can also go for boxing as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there's deaths in boxing. I can remember Ray Mancini. Remember Ray Boom Boom Mancini versus uh, Duco Kim? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it does I, happen. I don't remember that, obviously, because I was born 10 years after that, but I do remember, <laughs> okay. you know, hearing about it and seeing a movie about it. Well, there, uh, I know I, that, that. I saw it live and it was bu- brutal. I didn't know why the referee didn't just step in and stop that damn thing, but mm-hmm. it happened. You know, well, well, actually, I mean, you no- come to think of it, if you knew how dangerous it was, considering the fact that CBS shown it, mm-hmm. and they were showing it to all these people around the country, you would have basically asked, you know, why the hell are they showing this? Mm-hmm. Hit the FCC on the horn. I will say this, though, with that, with that fight, they did uh, the uh, boss commission. I don't even remember which one it is at this point. Uh, that did institute, I think they... Uh, well, did they, they lessen the amount of rounds or shorten the rounds? I think well, they when did. I was growing up, it was 15 rounds. Then it got knocked yeah. down to 12. Then that it was. got knocked down to 10. That was it, yeah. Well, actually, 12 for championship fights, 10 for regular main events. Yeah, yeah. But, but then if you look at Jack Johnson and all those old fights where somebody got knocked out in the 130th round or something, <laughs> and then they had to change the referee three times because the first two referees passed out from oxygen deprivation or heat stroke or something because it was an out- outdoor stadium in August. Yeah, that's funny. That's so, so funny. I mean, they have made the, even in amateur wrestling, it's a lot easier than it was. If you go like 50, 60 years ago, I think they were wrestling under much tougher conditions, much tougher rules and things. Mm-hmm. They were legitimate badasses back in the day. Mm-hmm. What What about uh, Puro right now? Uh, obviously, the number one promotion in Japan right now is New Japan. What are your thoughts on 
on just like Japanese pro wrestling in general, New Japan, all Japan. It's a very good product. I don't particularly care for it myself. I think that it's Japan had such a rich history and uh, in pro wrestling. I mean, it was part of the culture and everything. Ever since Ricky Dozon and everything, I mean, we've, I mean, it's been part of the culture. It's like a tradition and everything. We have a long, rich tradition, and it seems like nowadays it's getting a little bit too influenced by sports entertainment for my taste. Mm-hmm. What, what about like All Japan or Noah? Who, who were, they still have that? Uh, they don't. They don't really do uh, any sports entertainment stuff for the most part. I, I think I, 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 I like those styles, too. And uh, I like the old uh, King's Road Odo style and things. I like the old New Japan strong style. Mm-hmm. I, I always kind of thought of UWF as being a strong version of strong style. It was strong, new and improved strong style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, basically, I'd say in Japan, I think, I'd have to say New Japan, All Japan, and UWF probably had the toughest, you know, the training, and they... They train the people the toughest. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you, like back in the day, I don't know what they're doing nowadays, but like in, in, in New Japan and things, for the first year, all you did was ground sparring. No striking, no anything. They didn't teach you any drop kicks or hitting the ropes or moonsaults or anything. Basically, you did that at the matches. But in the dojo, it was just straight catch-as-catch-can, totally full-on shoot sparring. And uh, for the first year, basically, you just got your ass kicked like, you know, your senpais would, like, submit you, like, three times every ten seconds and make you scream and squeal. But at the end of a year, everybody got so good at defense that nobody would beat at each other, but nobody would lose. Like, it would be, like, always a stalemate. And once you got to that point, they mm-hmm. figured that you earned your stripes and you were ready to have your first debut match. I see. So they were legitimate badasses. So like back in the 70s and 80s for New Japan, you could have taken any one of those guys and thrown them in an MMA thing. I mean, I kind of felt sorry for my teacher because like when he was like 18 or 19 years old, he had a judo and an amateur background, amateur wrestling background. Then he went to Carl Gutsch and he was training and he was doing catch as catch can style. And Inoki said, I want you to fight a kickboxing match against the ranker. And he had to fight Mark Costello in a sport that he had never participated before. He didn't get knocked. He got knocked down several times. You can you can look that up on YouTube too. Uh, Satoru Sayama versus Mark Costello. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then New Japan kind of had like a working relationship with a lot of the kickboxing organizations. So if you look at some of the Benny the Jet Yurkides, uh matches and some of the matches from that time, you'll see the old New Japan referee Kotetsu Yamamoto as the referee for the kickboxing matches too. Mm-hmm. We actually have a, a question from a listener. Uh, this is from Wrestling HDD on Twitter, and this is what he asks. He says, "Hello, what's your opinion on tape trading in general and its status, especially in the times of UWFI? Do you think it helped or hurt the UWFI?" What do you mean tape trading? Oh, uh, no, uh, tape trading. Like, well, oh, tape trading. Basically, old practice. Uh, you know. Certain Americans passing around old Japanese VHS tapes of classic wrestling. Well, the, the, the pre-internet era where we had to trade VHSs and all that, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, it didn't hurt, but in a way, maybe it wasn't because, you know, there's only so much you can learn from looking at a screen. Because, like, with a lot of the submission holds, I tried to learn stuff from the screen, 
and a lot of them didn't work the submission holds and i was doing it exactly as the visual was showing but it took like one of these guys or like my teacher to say wait 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 your leverage is totally off i mean it looks good but you're not gonna get leverage on that thing so it really you know i hate to say it but you really have to go to the dojo to actually learn it properly and you have to know the basics because a lot of people go into these gyms and everything and uh, they say okay teach me a few submission holds and you can't just go in there on day one and just start learning submission holds there's a way to you have your balance you have your stance you have to know how to pivot you have to know how to move it's like billy robinson always told me you know you don't just jump into the main course you have to have the soup you have to have the salad first and then the the, the pre you know, meal, cocktail, and everything. And if you miss that, and all of a sudden you jump to the main course of the dessert, you, you just don't get it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very limit. I think it's it's very limited what you can learn on a tape. You can pretend to be doing it. You can mimic it, but I don't think you really can master it just purely on just viewing tapes. What about the uh, the uh, tape trading of UW, uh, uh, trading of UWFI? Do you think by doing that uh, amongst fans in America? Do you think that it helped um, to help UWFI? Do you think it hurt, it hurt the UWFI? In well, the it certainly rose awareness and everything. I don't think it really hurt and everything because when we did a pay-per-view, that's the first time that you would have an English commentary to kind of explain what's going on. It's a really different style that at the time the West really didn't know. So mm. basically you have to re-educate the fans to like what they're watching and everything. So And then if you looked at those tapes, those were basically the Quest videotapes that didn't have a commentary on them. Mm-hmm. So I guess a lot of the stuff happened unless you really knew what was happening. But I guess if you're a diehard fan and you're a, you know, a crazy hardcore fan, you know a lot of this stuff so it's not like they don't know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then again, if you if you if you if you've actually not been a submission wrestler or a kickboxer or anything, there's a lot of stuff you miss and you don't understand why it is why it is. Mhm. Mhm. Uh, I, I, hope that, I, I hope that answers his question. But, uh, I, I want to ask uh, also, are you familiar with Josh Barnett's uh, Bud Sport? Yes, I have. Uh, have you uh, have you been able to watch anything that he's that 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 has produced, or and if so, what do you think about that? Yeah, I like it. I I think we need an alternative product out there. I think there's. I mean, I'm I'm not saying anything bad about MMA, but I think there's enough of that out there already. I think that we need a different, you know, a different kind of product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that offers another, you know, alternative. You have WWE, you have UFC. I think we need. I mean, I was hoping that somebody would have started that. Or it I, I, it should have started earlier, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm glad that he's doing it. No, I think it's a great product. And uh, Josh Barnett is legit. Mm. He's a legit badass. He knows what he's doing. He's been over the Japanese system, too. He's been in Japan trading. He's been in New Japan. He liked the UWFI. Actually, the site that uh, I started with uh, Jake Shannon, it was through, uh, I think it was Josh is the one who threw my name out there, and that's how that site started. Scientificwrestling.com? Yeah. Mm. That's why we have our uh, UWFI stuff up on there. Mm-hmm. Now, come to think of it, when it comes down to the modern day, uh, not only professional wrestling, but mixed martial arts, because obviously we cover, you know, Japanese mixed martial arts, obviously the Rising Fighting Federation being an heir apparent to the old pro- 
Fight Fighting Championships from ninety from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand seven. But if the UWFI or any form of UWF style contact, and that includes pro wrestling, Fujiwara Boomi, were to come up in this day and age, where everybody's got a cell phone, every I mean everybody's got social media, everybody's got a cell phone, this that third. And people were watching UWFI comp- I mean, competition as it happened. Do you think that it would be just as big as promotions I mean, I, like New Japan or Ryzen or even the WWE? I, I think it would have been bigger than when we did it. And actually, we were pretty big back in the day. But I think it would have worked even easier now. Because people are a little bit more educated in, like, ground wrestling and chain wrestling and kickboxing. I think people understand martial arts a lot more now than they did back in the day. So okay. I think that I, I think more people would have accepted it a lot quicker if we had started today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just my personal opinion. When you say, well, we uh, right back in the day. do you mean in Japan or do you think uh, in the West? I think more in the West because in Japan... In Japan, we did know our martial arts because even as like being in grade school over here, and I like I said, I, I moved over here when I was really young. <clears throat> people did kendo, people did karate, people did judo, people did aikido, and this, I mean, even in school, we had our own judo club and everything. They taught us amateur wrestling, but they taught us judo. We actually had it as class in school over here, mm-hmm. and and uh, a lot of the cartoons and comic books, and even the you know, the cartoon, the anime, you know, the the Japanese animation thing, there was a lot of, like, the martial arts kind of things, and then when we saw that, we'd all want to get into it, so we studied more on that. So I think that martial arts was always more understood over here than it was in the West. I think in the West, Bruce Lee did a lot for people, but maybe it was limited. People looked at karate and kung fu, and, you know, only certain styles were in Japan. I think we looked at everything. We looked at from Bruce Lee all the way to Benny the Jet, and Saomura Tadashi and uh, Fujiwara Toshio and, you know, Masoyama and everything. I mean, it seems like we were looking at everything back then. And, like, even the grade school kids knew everything about, like, Muay Thai and kickboxing and wrestling and everything. So I think there was more, you know, acceptance and uh, people knew more about martial arts over here than they did in the West at that time. Well, I, you know, that's one of the things I always point out to my friends who are not familiar with Japanese MMA or Japanese wrestling is that when the, when it goes to the ground, you know, in, in, in America, you know, I'll say in the West, I shouldn't say just America, but when, they go, when a fight goes to the ground, unless that person is a Gracie or is a well-known jiu-jitsu guy, the audience starts to boo, they start to jeer, they're not... They're not accustomed to, to to a fight that goes to the ground as much as, as they are in Japan where, you know, if you watch, you know, as soon as Sakuraba... Because of the fact, Andrew, that if a fight goes to the ground in this day and age, especially on this side of the planet, they boo. Yeah, because exactly. Because there's no action to be had. Well, as soon as, like, Shinya Aoki or Sakuraba, as soon as he got someone down the ground and got on top of them, the audience was going crazy because they knew any moment it can end. This is it, this is the most exciting. This is this is where the fight becomes exciting or something like that. So yeah, I think that, I think it's really changing the way people think because like when I was young, like mm. back in the seventies and eighties, 
I guess boxing was so well established and had such a history that even if a new sport came out, everybody compared it to boxing. So like if a karate or a kickboxing person threw a punch, they'd always compare it to a boxer's punch and say, oh, that's that's not a good punch. And then they didn't like going to the ground. And that's why I remember in kickboxing, you were supposed to kick above the waist because they they thought that anybody, if hitting below the belt was considered to be a nasty tactic, right? Mm, mm. But the low kick has changed. People don't think that way. But back in the day, they did. And for a lot of the spectators, they just simply weren't educated to it because you don't have to be educated to understand boxing. Somebody gets punched in the face and they go down. Everybody can understand that, yeah. right? Oh, simple. simple. But back in the day, if somebody started rolling around the ground and somebody gave up for no reason, it's like, what the hell just happened? They didn't understand what a leg lock or a knee lock. It didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So it's – and to, even today, to tell you, the reason why K1 was so successful – is they were just an amateur, Sado Kaikan, they were just an amateur karate association. But when uh, the UWF split up in three parts and then they had rings, rings needed fighters. So they got people from Holland and Russia and all that. But then they got the Sado Kaikan. They had a whole bunch of the karate guys who wound up being in the K1 go participate in rings. And they learned how to do promotions. They learned how to rent venues and how to promote them. So basically K1 is just a standing version of pro wrestling, the way they ran the business. That's why they made stars, and that's why they became successful. But, you know, another big thing was it was standing. In K1, it was mostly, you know, you didn't go to the ground. And that's why they got a broader audience, because people who didn't even understand martial arts, they could appreciate it, because since they didn't go to the ground, you understood what a kick or a punch was. That's, that's, I believe that's why the K1 was as successful as it was. Mm-hmm. Because people, people prefer to see people fighting standing up. Even even when people understand what submission is, basically people enjoy standing, the standing game more than the ground game. Unless you're really into it, and you know you're a fighter yourself, and you you can really appreciate it, and you're educated in it. Mm-hmm. I think that standing matches always they they, they draw more eyes to the product. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, I just I'm curious to know uh some of your favorite matches from UW five. Uh, I don't know. Five, six oh, matches man. that you that you just love. That you would recommend. Uh, that you would have better question. That you would recommend this. So say somebody says, "Hey, uh, Ted or Andrew or Christian, I want to watch this UWFI. Uh, what would be some matches you'd recommend?" So yeah, go ahead, Ted. Oh man, how many hours do we have on this thing? <laughs> yeah. Let me well, go, let me we don't have much time, but you can it's... take all the time you want, Mister Pelk. All right. Uh, here I go. I, I always loved uh, Masahito Kakiara's matches. Mm. He had one of the quickest hands in the feed, and if you look at some of his matches, they were just mind-boggling back in the day. Tamura, another guy. He was more of a... Re- he, he, he could strike too, but he preferred to do more of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, one match that stood out was it was ended up becoming a bloody mess, but it was Nakano versus Kakiara, if you can find that. Mm. And look at that. Where... Uh, Right after the match, uh, Nakano had to go straight to the hospital. He had two fractured cheekbones and broke his nose and that, just from the open-hand strikes, which actually that can be more dangerous than a punch because you're hitting with the heel of your hand. It's not your palm. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, if you ever get a chance, look at that. Even the Kakiara versus uh, Takata match from uh, the Sumo Arena, Yogoku, that that was a good match, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I, I always watched, I, I, at the time, now I can enjoy Gary Albright's matches, but at the time when I was like ringside or watching it live, I, I was just nervous the whole time. I was, I, I was so sure that somebody was going to break their neck. Mm. Mm. And uh, then somewhere down the line, he ended up, uh, actually it was against Kakiara, I think was the first time he used it. He started using the full Nelson suplex. And I remember after, you know, going out eating with him, I said, you know, you can just get away with a German suplex. Why do you have to do the full Nelson you know, you're going to kill somebody out there. And you know what he told me? What? He said, better them than me. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation, and I never questioned it after. I said, okay, Gary, whatever. <laughs> I, I told him not to use the full Nelson after that one match. Um, what, um, I got uh, I got to ask also, uh, speaking of infamous matches, the... I guess, I don't know, maybe it could be considered the most famous match in UWFI, uh, Nobuhiko Takata versus Koji Katao. Um, oh, God, yeah. What can you tell us about that whole thing that happened between those two? That, that was another weird mixed match, and mixed matches are just, just a nightmare sitting at the negotiation table coming up with the rules and this and that. It was, And then, you know, uh, Kitao, his previous fight was against Yamazaki, but then when he went up to Takata, he decided, you know, because uh, he, he wanted his set of rules, and then he forced us. We didn't want to do it, but he wanted to have five rounds. And uh, we were kind of disappointed with the five-round things because we thought it would end a draw. And it's, it's really, you know, for a main event to have a match that goes the distance and, you know, there's no real winner, we thought that would really disappoint the crowd. So when that high kick landed picture perfect we, we were all ecstatic at that time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i guess we were irritated also because of you know setting up the rules and everything that was such a ball buster at the time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah mixed matches were always i think the only mixed match that kind of went relatively easy and we didn't have problem was matthew saad muhammad versus tamara at yokohama arena mm -hmm. uh, and he wore the uh saad muhammad wore the boxing gloves during the actual match as well i remember correctly i think right well, Trevor Burbick did, and yeah. also James Waring did when he fought Billy Scott. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what? Come to think of it, I know this isn't a UWFI match, but what about the match that I think Roberto Duran had in UW? I mean, I think it was in PWFG versus Minoru Suzuki. I don't know. I might have to check. No, he fought uh, Funaki-san. Oh, Moscow's Funaki. Yeah. Who, by the way, is going to be on the card for our tw our show on the 26th. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the thing is that actually when we first uh, were signing up, I was at the time already in 1991 when we first opened up UWFI, I was already contacting Roberto Duran at the time. Was this? Oh. I I'm sorry. What happened was it wasn't Trevor Burbick. I was trying to get Mike Tyson, and I was talking to his manager, Bill Caton, and trying to get him going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But what happened was a year before we opened up our door doors, he lost to Buster Douglas. Mm. So that took a lot, away of, a lot of his nice. steam away. And we're like, oh, God, why did that happen? Now, I don't know, he's not, his name is not as – he lost his first fight, so he's not the indestructible guy that we can push. What are we going to do? And actually, some of the, our trainers at UWFI say, you know, the Gracies haven't been doing anything, but actually they're planning to do something. And they were talking about the UFC. They didn't even have a name back then. They said, the Gracies are coming up with some plans to do something. 
why don't we bring in the Gracies and beat them? Because, you know, if we fight them at their own rules, we can beat them. Because basically, with a lot of these fights, mix matches, I'm not going to say they were works. They were all shoots, but it doesn't matter because a lot of with the mix matches, you can predetermine the outcome by the way you set up the rules. That's why everybody becomes a bitch over the rules and argues over the rules. Because I, they said, oh, my God, Takata lost to Hicks and Gracie. And I'm like, yeah, but that was Takata's first fight, his debut match in MMA. And you're talking about somebody on at the top of the hill, right? Hicks and Gracie. And I always said, you know, if in their prime, who would win? Mike Tyson versus Tiger Woods. And everybody says Mike Tyson. And I said, no, Tiger Woods would win if it was under golf rules. Mm-hmm. That's just the way things are. Well, uh, well, I, I could have a shoot match and I could set up the rules to deter- predetermine who's going to win if yeah. they wanted to follow that. I could set up a match like that. As well, a promoter, you can do that. I'm trying. So everybody argues over the rules the whole time and everything. With Roberto Duran, so after I tried to get Mike Tyson and all that happened, I figured, well, Buster Douglas, nobody thinks that he's the best, but he did beat Mike Tyson, so let's go get after Buster Douglas. So I tried to go after Buster Douglas. But then he was, after those fights, he put on a lot of weight. He was out of shape. He was in bad condition. And we are like, God, this is good. We can't use this at a big event. And a couple of the guys I said, mean, hey, not Grace. to mention the fact that he was just fresh off a loss against Evander Holyfield. If y'all, yeah. I mean, were y'all trying to go out to Holyfield as well? Well, you see that Takata, at the end of the Trevor Burbick match, he, he proposed a challenge to Holyfield as well. We were trying to get any big name because we just wanted to prove the style, you know? And if you bring somebody in and you beat them at a shoot, boom, that's the best kind of advertisement you can get. Then people, you draw eyes to your product. That's what we wanted to do the whole time. So we're trying to get somebody. Couldn't get Buster Douglas. And then a whole bunch of people said, we better get the Gracies because they're planning to do big stuff in the future. So if we put them in the ring, we can beat the Gracies. Then we don't have to address it later. And they said, hey, it's amateur jiu-jitsu. We're a professional sport. What if the crowd boos us out of the building and they want their money back because it's a really, you know, shoddy match? Now, nah, we better stay away from it. it. It could go terribly wrong if you use amateurs in the ring. It might not be entertaining enough. So we dropped the Gracies at that time, which in retrospect, we probably should have fought them at the time. You know, because lo and behold, look what happened a few years later in mm. retrospect. But then, then so then... Uh, yeah, we were going after a whole bunch of people. And during that time, I, I contacted Roberto Duran through his management, and we were going to use him. But the same problem with Roberto Duran, he was totally out of shape because he's a great fighter, and he always can seem to get himself into shape. But when he's not fighting or is not signed up for a fight, he has a tendency of being overweight and out of shape. Mm, the Ricky Hatton uh, uh, complex, uh, I like to call it. Well, I give him all the credit in the world. When he has to get it done, he has to. He goes back into the gym and he gets back in a fighting condition. But when he doesn't have a fight lined up for him, he, he tends to, you know, kind of relax. And mm-hmm. then when I contacted him and everything, he, he just was not in good condition. Well, you, you see the fight at uh, Fujiwara Gumi, what happened, right? He wasn't exactly... He was supposed to come in as a middleweight and he came in as a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So oh, I didn't want that... And actually, I, w- I was planning to put him against our kickboxer because I figured if he was a middleweight, why should we be fighting a heavyweight wrestler? That's like that's like a no-win situation. If you beat the guy, you'll say, well, naturally, you're a heavyweight. You beat a mil- middleweight. What, you know, what are you, a bully? But if you lose, you're like, what the, ma- what the hell's the matter with you? I guess, I guess boxing is better than you because if a middleweight can beat your best heavyweight, that doesn't look good. Mm. So we wanted to put him up with uh, our kickboxer, our, our champion. I'm curious to know, um, it, it, uh, it, did UWFI ever try to 
uh, get a, uh, get uh, Alexander Carlin, uh, the Russian uh, wrestler. No, we didn't. Oh. Not, not that I know of. I, I, I think that was just Rings was interested in him. Okay, I know you did do one match for Rings in, in the late uh, in late '99, '98, whatever it was. But then I was wondering maybe if if he became like if he was since he did compete in the Olympics in '88, '92, '96, if he was maybe on your on the UWFI radar before he was even on Rings' radar at that time. Not that I know of. I, I know that Rings was interested in him, and I guess uh, Akira Maeda used him for his retirement match. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so do you uh, pay attention to uh, Japanese MMA at all right now, like Ryzen or current Pancras or Shuto by any chance? Yeah, I look at it now and then. Actually, Ryzen's new office is a 30-second walk from my house, so I pass it every day. And uh, Oh, is it? That's... I, I, I look at him and everything, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. It's good, but it's still not the full-fledged business that it should be. You know, there was always a dream about... You remember in the old days when you talked about big championship fights? It wasn't only about the fights or we're pitting two guys together or they played the the patriotism like we're going to have like a Mexican versus uh, a British guy, so we... We have country versus country. It was always about the purchase, like who's going to make how much money. It was more about the atmosphere, so to speak, when it came down to those big-time title fights. Still is today, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very rarely, though. Much more rare now, I think, than it was. I'd like to see more money for the fighters. Oh, yeah, so we don't need to go into the whole thing. That is one one thing we always ran about is that we want to see fighters get paid more, no matter what organization. Because you have to remember something. Being a professional fighter, that's not something you can do for the next 500 years. It's a ve- You know, being a professional fighter, that's a very short-lived career. You can't go on forever. Yeah, I mean, careers are very short. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have to make it make sense. It's I, I, the, the one thing that I hate is seeing, like, somebody who's a champion, a legitimate badass, he's kicking ass, he's holding titles and everything, then all of a sudden he gets old, he he's not as fast, and he takes more and more punches, and he can't beat anybody. Then he's at some restaurant washing dishes or flipping burgers, you know, or you know, pumping gas or something. Or, I hate having to see that. Unfortunately, or the unfortunate cause, you see a former. I mean, you see a world champion on top of the world one day, and then the next, he goes down on his luck, sits in an alley, and thinks about. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Woe is me. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's why I always thought it was nice how the sumo association and the pro wrestling uh, circuit worked in Japan because after you retired, you had a position in the company. Whether you became an agent, an office person, or something, you, you were all right. You got paid very well, and you were right. But like in Japanese boxing and kickboxing, it wasn't a full-time job. A lot of those guys have to have daytime jobs, and they train at night. So it's not really professional. It's kind of semi-professional. Mm-hmm. I, you know, even well, you know, the big, the big conversation right now in America is with the UFC and how it pays uh, a lot of its fighters. So yeah, no, that conversation it goes on not even with with you know maybe the second or third level or third biggest promotions, but the mm-hmm. number one promotion in the world. So that's that you know. But it, was, it was all part of the mystique and the smoke and mirrors. Like oh my god. This guy is going to be making $30 million for the next fight. It was always about the purse was a big part of the promotion too, right? And I figured as a spectator, I'm like, 
you know, I don't give a rat's ass. I'm not making the $30 million. I'm just paying my $40 to buy the damn pay-per-view. I ain't going to get any of that money. What do I care? But a lot of people did care. That was a big part of the promotion about who was making how much money. Little did they talk about later is that, yeah, he did earn $30 million, but all of that went to his agents and his, you know, crooked managers and the system and this and that, you know, and uh, <laughs> that's why they're making all these millions of dollars. But the day after they're retired, for some reason, they're broke and the IRS is chasing them, right? Oh, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, you know, the purse was always a big part of the promotion, the whole promotion. Do, uh, do you still pay attention to kickboxing at all, Ted, in Japan, or... I have kind of dropped out because I was connected to, like, KICK and the ISK, but when UWFI went with New Japan, they dropped the kickboxing. So we, I mean, we had great kickboxing. Actually, if you look at some of the UWFI kickboxing, I'd say compare that to the K1. I think ours was much more entertaining and it was a higher level and we had put on much more exciting fights than they did mm, okay so well, gonna... one that stands out is like the title matches that we had but actually we had a tag team kickboxing match at the uh Budokan once that was a great match because like in kickboxing you know everybody's excited excited but after three minutes you have a one minute break and the whole crowd kind of just settles down and it, you have to kickstart them again on the on the next round, but like with tag team kickboxing, there are no rounds. When you get tired, you tag out when you want, so it's nonstop action. So we had the whole crowd was just going berserk the whole time from start to finish. I don't know why more people don't do that, because it, it was a great form of fighting, and it worked. Mm -hmm. We did it as an experiment, and it worked. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to also just uh, ask you, so after UWFI, um, a lot of people say that Pride, without UWFI, there would be no pride or there would be there would there have would have been no big mixed martial arts boom um that was caused by pride do you think that's all at all a feasible statement to make or do you agree with that uh what are your thoughts on yes and no yes and no i think that it was inevitable mma was going to come out in some way shape or form sooner or later but it just happened to be pride because basically pride wasn't even a promotion in the beginning basically it was between, you know, that whole fiasco that we had with the Gracies later on, because we started to take them on too late, and when we wanted to bring them over, they didn't want to accept our rules, and they wanted to do about their rules. It was rules against the two gyms. It was basically the Takata... Uh, it was, the whole promotion was built on Takata versus Gracie yeah. Dixon. That, that, that's basically it. And everybody, uh, the rest of the card was just a filler, much like the way boxing used to promote their fights. Because when you went to see a uh, Mike Tyson match, or saw it on TV, nobody cared about the undercard. They only cared about that one 30-second fight, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The rest was filler. It was it was to the point where I saw that, like, even the people who were involved in the promotion, they didn't even show up till the semi-main event. You look at the first five fights, they're all empty seats. Nobody cared. When there was a Tyson fight, all the fights didn't matter. It was only the main event. Then people came to see Tyson. People paid the, on the pay-per-view to see Tyson. They didn't care about the undercard. So basically, Pride kind of started out that way. It was basically the whole... You know, excitement was Takata versus Ixon. And that's how it started, Pride One. By the way, I, I, I worked on that show too. Oh, that you... was the first that was the first and last show that I worked with. Well what was it what was your uh, what did you work on uh, with Pride uh, one? Well Takata was originally my boss, so I was gonna be there. Uh -huh. But then uh, you know, I had done like T V work and everything and people wanted me to be a translator because there weren't too many translators who knew martial arts but could translate. Because even if you get a good translator, if people get too technical, they don't know how to translate. 
mm-hmm. because it's hard to translate something when you don't even understand it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they brought me in to help with a lot of the foreign fighters and everything. And I was planning to go anyway because my old boss was in the main event, so obviously I was going to be in there. Gotcha, gotcha. And I mean, obviously, when it came down to you being in Pride, it predated another one of our, you know, close friends and people that we respect, and Lenny Hart, who was in there by the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, actually, if you don't mind me asking, I'm curious, and I don't know if you know the answer to this or if you uh, can comment on it, Pride won. Uh, we yeah. talked about about him before. Koji Katow had a match against... Former W. Well, I, no, he, Jones, right? Yeah, but uh, he was. Yeah, yeah, I had a good time with him too. God, what a monster he was. Uh, now some people. The Colossus of Bravado Road and former prisoner turned wrestler turned, obviously B-list movie star. There have been uh, people have suspected that that fight was a work. Do you know any, mm-hmm. if that is as is all true, or was it kind of like a UWFI thing where? The, maybe the, the outcome was determined, but it was just, but the match itself was not a work. Is there anything that could be said about that? You... I don't know if I should talk about it, but if you look at the match closely enough, you should be able to answer that question. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, that's a fair enough answer. Um, have, have, you, uh, have you had any interest at all in going into MMA, uh, returning to MMA? Has Takata ever said, hey, uh, Ted, you know, ever want to do anything for Ryzen? Or have you two just, I don't know, have you just been... Well, years have gone by and you just uh, are not in contact anymore. Once in a while, I'll occasionally run into him, and he's always nice, and hey, how's it going and everything, but business-wise, not really, no. Mm. And now that I'm kind of officially with the Real Japan Pro Wrestling group right now, and then we're trying to promote, like, uh, regular pro wrestling and also our Budo, our form of martial arts, like we had uh, the Seiken Shinkagadu, which is like a, which is a Budo form of MMA. Mm-hmm. And we've gone back to our original octagon, kind of like we used in Shuto, but without the ropes. But it's kind of more like a sumo thing. It's almost like a virtual fighter or street fighter because you can <laughs> win with submission or knockout. But if you push somebody out of the ring, if they fall out of the ring, you win too. And it's like the best two out of three. We did that. We start. Actually, we started that in God in 2011. Uh, it sounds very similar. There's a promotion called uh, the um, the boat fighting promotion Gan Ryujima. Uh, I think Gun Ujima was, uh, yeah, those guys who were involved with the K-1 and everything, and what they did is they they basically took our rules and they took everything, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's kind of like what the UFC did, Uh, they they, they kind of took our sport and they just changed the name and then they went ahead with it, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we were the first to do that, and Gun Ujima kind of, they they, they kind of, uh, should I say bootlegged our idea, because if you look at it, I mean, it's it's not a coincidence that it's it's the same as it was. Can you talk about, about a little bit about Real Japan Pro Wrestling? I don't know if a lot of uh, American fans may be familiar with it. Can you yeah, just give us some uh, background on the promotion you work, you work for? Well, basically what we're trying to do is, well, New Japan and other people or whatever they're doing, their style and everything, basically when we started, we wanted to say, we want to go back to the old New Japan strong style from the 70s and 80s. And we don't want to go back to the UWF style or any of the other styles. Basically, we want to go back to that good old time where like uh, Billy Robinson and Carl Gutch and Luthez and things were training in the gym and we were doing all that tough training back in the day. It's it's basically to back, go back in time and go back to the basics. So it's like the strong style. We want to be the king of strong style. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's the theme of the, our organization is to go back to strong style. 
I have here that the uh, I guess it would be I guess the the uh, heavyweight champion is Kazuyuki Fujita. Is he still champion? Yeah, and uh, we're he's gonna have a title match uh, on the twenty sixth. Yeah. Okay, great. Because I I was worried for a second because I thought he I know he's with Noah. He's part of uh, Sugiera's Sugiera goon. Yep. So I thought that oh is, that, know, is, that is correct. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so yeah. What other matches will be happening on? Uh, the show, by, by the way, also, um, when's the show happening? I can't, I, I can't talk about the card right now. It's not, uh, I know it's uh, kind of close, but I, it's not all determined right yet. Uh, gotcha. You know, it's a very unusual situation this time with this whole COVID thing and everything. Everything's gotten messed up and everything. We were supposed to have a promotion at Coraquin Hall. Obviously, for obvious reasons, we can't do that. So we're just going to have the matches and not allow anybody in that. We're just going to film the footage and then have it on. For the internet and everything, but uh, it's it's yeah it's it's kind of a little bit different this time. But uh, if you're interested, you can see it. It's going to be aired. I, I do. You did say it's going to be on Nico Nico. Now, I have tried to use Nico Nico before for like Dragon Gate and I think mm. of some other promotions. I know that it's not the most English friendly. Um, I guess service out to there. To be perfectly oh. honest with you, I've never used it myself either. But. Uh, because there's this whole thing where like you have to like buy credits or something, and then that's how you get the sh the show. Or there's something. It's it's not like it's not like a pay a pay and click thing. But I, I apologize. <laughs> I'll apologize up front. Uh, you can talk to me about the MMA and wrestling, but don't talk to me about computers. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm a dinosaur when it comes to all this computer uh, stuff. I well, mean, basically, I'm happy that I can use my mouse and turn the on button. I was gonna say, I'll ask you know if if, if fans want to see real uh, either this show coming up or maybe some other real Japan pro wrestling shows. What's the best way that uh, fans outside of Japan can can get familiar with uh, your the promotion you work for? Well, I know there's things, I, I mean, I catch the things on, like, YouTube and everything, but uh, hopefully if we can set up this uh, Nico Nico Doga and other things from now on, and I, you know, to tell you the truth with this whole COVID thing, even if it does settle down, I think it's a new part of life for quite a long time now that it's out there. So I think it's basically changed the world forever. Oh, I hope not. Oh, don't even, don't, 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 don't say that. I, I mean, you know, it's once, once... You know, you, you, you get a disease like that, it's not going to... It's like the flu. It's maybe like the new flu. It's going to be out there. Even if it settles down, I don't think we're going to totally eradicate it, at least certainly not in the near future. I think that's going to change our way of life from now. I think computers are going to become more important. I think a lot more is going to be aired on computers than it ever did in the past. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think so that... I guess, I guess we're going to have to just head that direction. Do you think that uh, arenas in Japan are going to operate at, at like at a third or half uh, capacity, you think? Um, or at, at worst, you know, I know with the New Japan show coming up that's going to be in Osaka with the first show that they're allowing fans to come in. Only fans from Osaka, because it's supposed to be at Osaka Joe Hall, only if you're... You cannot come to the show if you are from the uh, from the outside the Kansai region. So, yeah. do you think that's? I, I really don't. I really don't think that helps. To uh -huh. tell you the truth, if you're with people, you're always at risk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess it's a way to like kind of like you know. I guess less likely. You know, if I don't know, I don't know what the what the thought process behind it. But I hope it. I hope that's. I hope it doesn't get to that. I can put up with the wearing masks and wearing gloves, but oh boy, if, if we can't. If, if I can't go to any more wrestling shows or travel anymore, because COVID screwed up my trip to Japan this year, because uh, Japan uh, many, as many 
uh, I had a lot of people who wanted to come over to Japan this year, but it's all that got changed. Okay, Mr. Now, when it comes down to, you know, the current age of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts and combat sports in general, which combatant in this current age of combat sports, I don't care if it's boxing, mixed martial arts, kickboxing, or pro wrestling, which competitor do you think would fit well with the UWFI type of style, aside from Josh Barnett? Oh, you just took away my answer. Okay, uh... God, that's really because... You know, MMA... You know how different it is whatever style, and people have trouble adapting. It's like when Gary Albright first moved over from uh, UWFI to Old Japan, he had to struggle again, and then he kind of basically did the style that he did up in Calgary, in Calgary Stampede, and tried to have to try to go back to that style and everything. I think that if you're a good MMA fighter, but it, even if I say you're a good MMA fighter, what is your basic background? What is what is your base? Did you start in freestyle or Greco-Roman or folk style, or did you start in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? I think that's all going to change. I think people who are maybe, obviously, if you could get a catch-as-catch-can wrestler, which that's becoming more and more obscure, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu almost died out, but the, you know, this UFC and everything brought it back, and now it's booming all over the place. But actually, catch as catch can is kind of struggling right now, you know. So hopefully, it doesn't go into extinction. I mean, people are trying to like Roy Wood is back into it in England, trying to you know teach that again. And we have the Snake Pit in Japan, which one of the old UWFI competitors, uh, Yuko Miyato, is running that gym. Uh, you know, when Billy Robinson was alive, he he was tra- he was coaching in that gym and everything. So we're trying to keep it alive and everything. There's a lot of people over here trying to keep it alive. But obviously anybody who has that kind of wrestling, yeah, if we're going to go to like a UWF style, I'd have to say that, uh, but even the really good wrestlers, they had to adapt. It, t- it took them a good couple of months training every day, every day to get to that point. So I, I think that if you have a, if you have a dec- any decent MMA fighter, if he would come in and he'd put in like six months to a year, I, I think that I think that he could get to that point where he would be good for the style. That being said, if we ever started the UWFI again, or if anybody started like that kind of style, I think there'd be ha- a whole bunch of adjustments would have be have to be made. Mm. I don't think we could use the same set of rules that we did back in the nineties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of hard to say because it wouldn't be the exact same product. It, w- it would have to be something different that would match this era. I got you. I got you. So it, it's kind of hard to say, but if we were going to do, if somebody was going to do something similar, I'd say that still you'd have to have a few good coaches, and uh, it, it still would take it. You know, it kind of take time to get your act together. Um, so, uh, one of the last questions I do have is about the future of pro wrestling. And, you know, you can speak for pro wrestling, you know, America, Japan, whatever you feel most comfortable speaking on. What do you think the future of pro wrestling, you know, where do you think, how do you think it's looking for the future? Do you think it looks, in my opinion, it looks bad? I don't think, with the way that American pro wrestling is going, I think I think it's prob it's it's really looking bad, and it's just getting worse. 
I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on the future of pro wrestling? Do you think pro wrestling can change and maybe get back its glory years, you know, whether that be viewership or the stars or anything? Or do you think that wrestling just is just going to – might just – it might just keep on going down uh, in quality. And I think that wrestling, I don't know, is your question, where do I Ooh. think wrestling should be going or where is it actually going? Okay, well, let's, let's ask, what, where, do you, where do you think it's going where, where should it go? Well, right now at this point, I, I think uh, there are a few good places to train, but not as much as in the past. I, I You know, you really need a good place to kind of like you know if you're if you're planting a plant you have to plant the seed and you have to water it and you have to give it sunshine and everything and there was a few good places you know you had a couple of good places back in the day where you could raise a plant where i see there's a lot more schools that instead of you know starting you from the basics teaching you how to stand teaching you how to pivot teaching you how to run and move in the ring it's like okay Today's your first day. Get in there, take a bump, do a moonsault, and we'll teach you a drop kick today. It's, it's you just don't get the same product. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I guess that's good for sports entertainment. I don't see too many people trying to bring back the old style. In real Japan, we're trying to bring the old strong style, the the 1970s, 1980s New Japan strong style. We're trying to bring that back, but I don't see too many other people attempting to, to try to bring it back to the basics. I think I think you should have both products. Why not? Why can't we all, you know, happily pre, you know, coexist? Right. I think it's okay. We can we can have a shoot style promotion. We can have a strong style promotion. Then we can have a Mexican Lucha Libre star promotion. Everybody can, and then you can have mixed martial arts. It doesn't matter if it's split up. It's, you know, I think it's good to have like different items on the menu. If I go to the restaurant, I'm happy when there's like 10 different choices instead of just one or two choices. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd like to see somebody. Yeah, we would really like to see more people bring it back to the basics. But I guess. You know, a lot of the young people now, they weren't born back then. They don't know that. I guess you can see the old stuff, but why see the old stuff when you're watching the new stuff and you get hooked on that? A lot of the old stuff might look boring. But... You... It's because uh -huh. of the fact that, you know, after a certain time period, you need to be retaught a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And as long as that teaching doesn't come from, you know, one giant conglomerate like the WWE is, you know you'll probably learn a lot more of what's out there aside from, you know, just that one type of style, that one type of technique. Well, you know, like with the original Tiger Mask, they sent him to Mexico, and then he studied Lucha Libra there, but right away after there, they sent him to England, and he ended up doing, like, catch-as-catch-can there behind the scenes in the training and everything. So you got different styles. It's the same thing with karate or kickboxing. There's so many different styles of karate and kickboxing, countless amounts of styles, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, even we're in it, and we don't even know all the karate styles. They have the kojudu, they have this view, they have Zero Kaikan, they have the Chokshin Karate, they have this, and then you have the Chinese stuff, and then, you know, they have so many different styles. So wrestling can be the different, you can have different styles, but I'd like to see some of the old styles come back. I don't see too many people trying to bring that back. Mm -hmm. Or trying to bring back old strong style, but, you know, people should be bringing back some of the old styles, so... You know, the consumer has a choice. When they go in the restaurant, they want to 
you know, they have a choice of what they want to order for dinner. And I, I don't see too much of the old stuff. And I'm, that's why I think even the new stuff, that's fine. If, if you like that, good, watch that. But I think there should be other alternatives because maybe, you know, you might like a cheeseburger, but maybe I'm, I prefer a pizza, right? And mm -hmm. I, I'd like to see more of that in the future. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see it, but I don't see too many people trying to bring the old school. And it's kind of tough because, you know, there's not too many of those old coaches who can teach that. And plus, if you want to dance, you need a partner to dance with, don't you? You can't do it yourself. Oh, that's so true. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Basically, in this case, you know, we need to treat the fight world like it's an all-you-can-eat buffet or, you know, exactly. a dance floor where all type of styles are welcome. Um, but with that being said, uh, uh, Ted, um, I just wanted to also give you an opportunity. Um, I know you, so you work with, uh, Real Japan. Are there any, is there anything that you're else that you're working on that you want to plug or give a shout out to? The floor is yours. No, not really. I think I got everything out there today. Basically, you know, basically I'm officially with Real Japan Pro Wrestling now and, uh, it's kind of nice because it was like uh, we kind of the UWF and um, Shuto kind of split off and I went with Shuto and then after a while I ended up going to college and then I ended up with WPW working for the Rock's grandmother over there in that style. Then I called back in when they did UWFI and I was there and then I worked there for you a few years and then I ended up going to back where I came from, so to speak. I went back to my start. I went back to my original teacher and I'm with him now mm -hmm. managing him and being in this organization, so it's—I don't know. I guess wrestling is cyclical, right? Uh yeah, I, I can argue. Yeah, it's, I think I well, certainly I, my career has been because I, I ended up in the same place that I started, and I'm really happy about that. It's funny how people, a lot of people in the wrestling business, tend to stay in the wrestling business in some some sort of way. You know, um, you can't leave it. It's like it's like being it's like being on drugs. You'll uh -huh. always relapse. You once wrestling is in your blood, you you just can't get it out. You have to be involved with it in some way, shape, or form. I don't know how that works, but it is. It's just an addiction. I think it's also a pri a pride thing. A lot of people in the wrestling business, you know, especially uh, coming from your time, they want to see the wrestling business improve. They want to see the wrestling business do better. It's 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 a it's a thing. It's you know it's it's not like you know you take your money and run type thing. It's just you want to see this business continue on. Uh and do and do better, and especially with now with with how wrestling is, at least in America, uh, and for some people uh, who are not fans of you know New Japan Pro Wrestling, they want to see it do better or do uh, or at least have more options out there as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what New Japan is doing is great. Whether that's your cup of tea or not, it's something. But I mean, they're doing great because they they I mean, everybody has hard times. Mm -hmm. They had their hard times, but then they kind of pulled out of it, and they're doing good again. Oh, yeah. No, we're uh, we're fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling here, but we do recognize... Yeah, so am I. I think New Japan is great. But we do recognize uh, that there is a section of Puro fans who are just... Who, who do think it's too sports entertainment, that they, they like... They like, you know, there, there, there's a section of fans who are big uh, fans of, like, quote, the Nokiaism era, you know, when they were doing a lot of those... Uh, kind of work shoot style, you know, things that UWFI was doing, but it just in New Japan, and then you know, sending off the fighters to fight in Pride, like Yuji Nagata, 
and all that mm-hmm. stuff. There are, there are fans who like that era. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and just they don't. That's want... not to say because the, the the new Japan that they have a great roster too, and those guys are badasses too. They train hard, and you could I mean, I mean, no, your regular person, average person on the street, they wouldn't want to get in a fight with any of those guys. And oh, they could hold their own oh too. God, no, no, I wasn't. If I'm so one of like their style or not, I think what New Japan is doing is great. I I don't want to come off as oh, saying yeah. I don't like their style. I'm just saying that I wish there was more alternatives out there. Oh yes, no, yeah. And, uh, that's what I. That's what I'm getting at. I think sp- I have nothing wrong. I think sports entertainment is great. I'm not downing it or anything. Mm-hmm. Hey, I actually I'm a big fan of Lucha Libre. That goes against everything that we've been doing, right? But oh. I love it. <laughs> if, if it's done well and you have, you know, top level performers doing it, I think it's excellent. And I actually enjoy going to Mexico. I actually even when I was younger, I went down to Mexico even to watch it myself. Mm-hmm. But oh. I, I like I said, when I go in the restaurant, I don't like ordering the same thing every day. So if I was the regular ticket buyer, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd, I'd like more options on the menu. That's all I'm saying. Or in the case, you know, I like, you know, the problem, it's not also just like different things on the menu, but also something that's totally disgusting on the menu. Just for, uh, just to let you know, uh, uh did you say you you watch WWE now or no? Or you pay? Yeah, like, I do watch it. Okay. This week they just, on SmackDown, Christian, you probably know about this more than I do, but they did a very uh, tasteless, shall we say, uh, what was it? They did a, like, a, a, a pissing hot... They basically did a piss testing. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I missed that one. Uh, yeah, so, you know, because, because one that, what the wrestlers they had was, uh, Jeff Hardy, uh, who's mm-hmm. had a number of drug issues, and so the, the, the guy who he's, uh, feuding with, Seamus, did mm-hmm. this whole thing where he made the, made Jeff Hardy do, like, a, a, a drug test. Get mm-hmm. to piss in a cup, and you know, if that's a problem, is that that's the only thing is that like, when we get into that part of sports entertainment, that's when it becomes like, oh no, this is the stuff I want. I don't want my friends to know that I watch or that I keep up with. That's like that's like the well, bad thing. That's, the thing is, like, I could accept it on a soap opera or something because you know it's actors acting. Yeah, they're just following a script. But you know, I don't know if you try to if you try to kind of like uh, base like certain storylines on reality and everything. I'd hate to say that. I've actually worked with Jeff Hardy in the past on a WWE talk show and things in the past. He was a great guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, I also just don't believe, you know, that's kind of like punching down at somebody, you know, who's had issues like that. And, you know, you know, he even wrestled a match when he happened to be under the influence. And, you know, that's, I don't know, personally, that's for me. You don't punch down on somebody, on somebody like that. It's kind of like when they were doing, uh, WWF was doing the Jeff Hardy, uh, not Jeff Hardy, uh, Jake the Snake's Roberts uh and, sobriety thing it's just like you know as somebody who know who knew i know people who've been through that you just that's kind of like a, a line that i think is one of the few lines you just don't want to cross personally for me i so other no, people no, i told i totally agree with you and to tell you the truth what did it say in the bible or something that whoever is without sin can you cast the first stone, stone. i think everybody has that problem without saying cast the first stone Yes. Yeah, I mean, everybody has their problems and everything. I, I, I personally, you know, I wouldn't go there, but uh, I don't know. I, I didn't see what you're talking about. Yeah. But, yeah, I can imagine. But we get it. You know, we get it. You know, you you like New Japan. You like uh, the wrestlers. Like you said, they have bests. They're like Minoru Suzuki. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to think. I, think uh, I mean, Sakuraba used to be on, on, on their roster. But yeah, no, those guys, 
you know, if you look at their ears, they're all, they're, all those wrestlers there, the Japanese guys have all the cauliflower ears. So you know that they have a, a legit background. They're not, they, yeah, they can say what I know a lot of uh, people who like to talk bad about pro wrestling, they can say whatever they say. But uh, if you actually go behind the scenes and see how they train, how they work through and everything, you, they'd quickly change your opinion. And I'm not talking just about or, our organization. I'm talking about like, well, like the real legit, you know, systems like the New Japan or the old Japan you know, those established companies, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that everybody can do. Mm-hmm. In fact, most people, there's very few people on the planet who can actually go through that training regimen, make it to their first match, and then after that become a top star. Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's, it's not, not everybody can do that. I, there's a very select few people on the planet who can actually go through that system and make it to the top. It is a major accomplishment. I mean, take somebody like uh, Minoru Suzuki, legitimate fighter, Legitimate badass. He can hold his own in any situation. Mm-hmm. I've worked with him in the past. You know, no, I, I've never wrestled him. I mean, I've, I've had a run-in, like, uh, actually on one match when I was a uh, corner man for my guy, I was uh, managing Sammy Lee Jr., and it was a tag match against him, and he came out of the ring, and he beat the shit out of me once. But uh, And you live to tell the tale. You live to tell the tale. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you, he, he's a badass. Yeah, he's a legitimate badass. He was a badass even before he got in pro wrestling. He was a great amateur wrestler. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know one, of, I, one, one of the fathers of mixed martial arts, him and uh, Masakatsu Funaki, you know, who basically... Yeah, and they, they, they were like one of Carl Gotch's last students. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're legit. They're the real deal. Um, so wait, did that, again, when is the uh, Real Japan Pro Wrestling coming back? What's a day? And uh, uh, it's, how, it's, how can... a, it's on June. It's on June twenty sixth. Uh, the Kaktogi no Hi, the day that uh, Inoki versus Ali happened. So it's it's a special day. Gotcha, gotcha. I know you said that that, that you you can't give out the full card uh, right now, but you can't uh, uh, anything. Else that you could say about the card without you know giving anything away, anything, any details or anything that you can't. Not say? at this point, really, but whatever it is, it'll be exciting. Okay, great. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. Okay, no, great. And, and, and also, one more thing, Mr. Bell, we can't really ask if. I mean, I don't. I'm afraid to even ask if you even have social media because you're gonna probably. I mean, you're gonna probably say, "Hey, I don't want people getting into my Facebook or anything like that." But I can put over the fact that UWFI Bukido, Way of the Warrior, is available for free on Amazon. It's available on Amazon Prime Video if you have mm-hmm. a subscription. If there's mm-hmm. one thing that a modern professional wrestling fan would take away from watching at least one match from mm-hmm. that show, UWFI Bukido, Way of the Warrior, what would it mm-hmm. be and why? Which match they should watch? Oh, no, well, well, one, uh, sorry. So basically, what I mean to ask is there's one thing that any rest, any casual professional wrestling or combat sports fan would take away from watching even a single match on that show that I just mentioned, what would it be and why? What could they take away from it? Well, that's... At the time, we f- figured that that we were uh, we were heading to go into old school wrestling. We were going back in time in a time machine, and uh, that's the way we viewed it at the time. That that was the direction that we felt that pro wrestling should go at that time. Uh, 
if you want to see excellent striking techniques and you know you know where the submissions came from because a lot of the submissions that we were using you see in MMA today you know Kimura is not a Kimura it's a double wrist lock Kimura learned that from Carl Gotch if you look at the you know like a lot of the submissions like on the arms and legs and things uh, I think there's a lot to take away from it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah and you uh... Yeah, if anybody you want to check out UWFI, uh, get a uh, Amazon Prime. Look up Bushido Way of the Warrior. Uh, I think there's about thirteen episodes on it. You can hear uh, Ted uh, Ted Pell's wonderful commentary. So no, actually, actually, Andrew, it's about twenty. Oh, it's about twenty episodes. Oh, excuse me. Okay, last time I checked, I thought it was thirteen. My bad. Um, yeah. So if you want to see some great matches, you know, see a pro wrestling style you may not have ever seen. If you are not a fan of pro wrestling, I think it's one of the easiest things that a non-fan can get into. It's 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 simple. That's why I always said the best wrestling is always simple, in my personal opinion. It's very interesting to say because a lot of people could say it's not as exciting as wearing colorful costumes and doing like typical American-style heel interviews and things. We didn't have any of that, and we didn't have like the baby face and heel thing going on. It was like we, it was more like a sporting event the way we set it up. But I'll tell you, when we were on Sky Sports and UK and everything, we were on cable TV. So I guess at the time, cable TV didn't really mean that much. But we were just second to, like, soccer over there. And, like, when we went to Israel, we actually sometimes beat the news in the ratings in Israel. Israel turned out to be one of our biggest territories, which was a shocker. I didn't expect that one. And when I went to Israel, the people there on the show. in Russia as well. But I was really kind of hoping... You know, from the way that y'all had success over in Europe, that it would have transitioned well to the U.S. Like, it would, if it would have aired back then at the time on Prime Sports or FSN or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, here, I yeah. guess we could go back in time and, you know, tweak up a lot of things and maybe things would have turned out differently. Maybe we would have taken over the MMA scene instead and we could have continued with our quest to you know, achieve uh, the ultimate style which we were heading for. Like I said, I think it kind of ended with the Kingdom promotion and the Pancras promotion. It evolved to a good point, and then it kind of stopped right there. Then it went in a different direction. But, uh, yeah, I I, I think if if somebody brought something like that back, I I think it would hit. Mm -hmm. It's it's a different product, and uh, like I said, like in Israel, we were sometimes we'd we were on the same time as the news, and sometimes we beat them at, beat the news in the ratings, and that's in Israel, so that's a big deal. When I went down to Israel, they treated me like royalty down there. I'd go into restaurants, and even like the guys went down to restaurants and things, and we'd eat there, and we said, what's the bill? And they said, it's on the house. Oh, that's so cool. I, we didn't even spend money the time we were there. That's it was cool. crazy. I mean, we, it was almost like we were bigger there than we were in Japan, and we only had one promotion in Israel. Oh wow, that's that's amazing. That, I love hearing stories like that. I mean, we 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 filled up. I think it was like twelve thousand people for our first uh, show over there. We 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 weren't even able to do that in Japan. Our first show in Japan was at Korakuen Hall. It was only after like the second year that we'd use like Osaka Joe Hall and Budokan. But in the first year, we were working Korakuen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so, and a lot of people who watched the UWF style at the time, they said we. We were big WWF fans, but after watching this, I can't go back. I have to watch this. There was a lot of people who said that. And we did great on the ratings mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's good to have, like I said, if you go to a restaurant, you want a restaurant with a lot of things on the menu that you can choose from. 
I, I think, though, at least, you know, one of the last things we can say is that, you know, you know, while UWFI may not have lasted that long, you know, it's kind of like ECW, where it, 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 it's, its legacy has last, has, has managed to, to last so much longer than yeah. its initial inception, you know, people still do those, a lot of those ECW reunion shows, we got, you know, cha- crowds still champ for ECW, UWFI, you know, basically mm-hmm. oh, hel- helped open the door for MMA, uh, and, and gave the start, and to, you know, people like Takata and Sakuraba, Takayama, and, you know, it's, you know, I think, even though wrestling, the majority of, of I guess, of mainstream wrestling isn't liked it, but there's still, you know, there's still, you know, there, you'll still see occasional UWFI type elements in pro wrestling, maybe yeah. probably by accident, you know, I mean, you know, if you want to even say like a last stand, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how long last man standing matches have been around, but I don't know, like the ten counts. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's a uh, uh, is that a U? That was a UWFI thing. I, I don't know. Yeah, that, we didn't have, we didn't have pins in UWFI. Yeah, uh, and you see a lot of the submissions that were done there as well. You know, a lot of wrestlers are now using them. Uh, like you know, I don't, I'm trying to think if anybody ever used a cat slicer or a similar type of submission in UWFI, but, you know, AJ Styles uses that as his submission fi- uh, finishing move. Um, Timmy well, even th- the kick pads, you know, everybody used to use those good old ring shoes that you laced up in the front, you know, with the shin guards, you know, those yeah. kicking things. That's something that Tiger Mask developed when he was in the original UWFI. He says, we're going to do a lot more kicking and things, so we can't use regular ring shoes. And he, he actually created the first prototype and... Uh, I guess the very first person to ever use those shin guards, and now you see everybody from Rod Van Dam to other people using the shin guards and everything. It was actually Kazuo Yamazaki used it for an early UWF promotion. He was the very first to wear it in a match because he was uh, Tiger Mask's apprentice. As you did say, you know... Those guys really came in handy when, you know, pissing off Trevor Burbank against Nobuhiko Takata. Yeah. That's funny. Um, oh, that, that, that was a nightmare because we went over the rules so many times with him. And in the first kick he takes, he starts complaining, and he threw the fight. Can you imagine we spent that much money? We had a press conference at Mickey Mantle's restaurant in New York. We had a press conference at a major hotel here. We pumped so much money in. He didn't come alone. Obviously, boxers aren't like wrestlers. They have to travel with their whole entourage. You have to have their manager. They have to have, you know, their sparring partners, and you have to fly them over first class and put them in nice hotels, give them everything. And after all that money and time and promotion and everything, that's what happened. I mean, it happens, but it's kind of disheartening. It's really depressing. After it happened, I was like, oh, my God, after all that money, after all that time, after all that effort, after all going back and forth on the contract and doing this, I mean, we... We had, like, opening sparring sessions for the press that they could come and see Takata spar and, like, Burbank move around a little bit. And the whole thing. And then basically it culminated to that, what happened, what you saw, you know. it's. But, hey, it happens. It's like even with the kickboxers. I bring over the kickboxers. I spend so much money, and they come with their coach and their sparring partners and everything. They get knocked out in the first round. It's like, I guess you didn't have to bring your entourage with you. You could have just come came here and just laid down the first as soon as the bell opened it would have been you know but things happen in the ring you you really can't plan for that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. oh oh yeah 
Oh yeah, certainly so, certainly so. Especially, especially like with Burbick when that was our main event. I made it. I made an English program for that, but I actually put on Trevor Burbick's match as a semifinal, and I put James Waring in the Billy Scott fight as, as the main event. I, I edited it and switched it because I didn't want to end off the program with that. Oh, that sounds like you made a good decision with that. No, the good thing you had uh, you had director's cut on that thing because that could. Like, the Billy Scott and James Waring thing was great. We didn't know what to, because Billy had just joined and everything, but he came for about six to eight months. He lived in the UWFI dojo, and he was working out like six days a week. He was working out like five, six, seven hours a day in preparation, and we actually brought sparring partners in and everything for him to train for that fight. And it paid off, and, you know, it, it went the distance, and it was a decision. I don't know how the crowd appreciate. They seem to be cheering and everything, but probably people like to see a knockout or a clean submission, especially a knockout. Everybody loves to see a knockout, and it wasn't there. But to me, that was one of the best mixed matches that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though UWFI shut down, and it was only like five years and eight months, or was it, before they went to the New Japan thing, it was a very short time, but I think we left our legacy. I think MMA, it, it was inevitable. It would have started, but... We were certainly, we, we happened to start it. We were at least a catalyst. Uh, all the pride and all this stuff at UFC. If you look at the original UFC, the reason why they used, like, Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn and Gerard Gordeau and they took, like, Jeff Blatnick and Furbos and everything, they had our eyes on. They were looking, you know, all over the place. They were collecting ideas from a lot of people. I, I really wish they would have given us footnotes, you know, if they were going to take something and it kind of seems like a lot of people like take other people's ideas and play it off as their own. But, you know, with the octagon and everything that we're using in the 80s and the gloves and the this and the people we were using, I thought that we should get a little bit more recognition. There was no honorable mention. Actually, Tiger Mask is the first one to bring Hicks and Gracie to Japan, if you remember that 1996 Volatuto Open, the Shudo organization did. Mm -hmm. That was his first trip over here. Mm -hmm. And they set up that tournament for him. They, they, you know, Tiger Mask tried to help you know, Hickson over here and get him over I and mean, everything. I mean, think of it, I think that was 94 because it was also the same event where Yuki Nakai got blinded by Hickson Gracie. I thought it was around that time. I can't, you, you, you can probably look up the exact date, but it was sometime in the mid-90s or something like that. Well, you know, that's mm -hmm. one one of the reasons why we're doing this UWI retrospective is, you know, we're talking, you know, we're talking to people like you, Steve Nelson, Mark Fleming. We got some other interviews lined up, and yeah, we're trying to get this recognition for a promotion that that maybe you know a lot of people are not familiar with, or you know, mm -hmm. don't want to dip their toes into. So that's why you know that's why we're we're doing this whole thing. We're trying to get you know people a little bit of of that of UWFI just some. Just some sort of uh, of proper recognition that we think it deserves, and not only in the pro wrestling world, but also in MMA, because it really mm -hmm. influenced both uh, mm -hmm. in many many ways. Actually, last question I have for you, um, uh, Ted. Yeah. You, uh, the the rights for UWFI. Uh, yeah. I I know like how how who owns the rights to like the tape library and all that stuff right now? Is it New Japan, TFSI, somebody else, or? Is I it? haven't checked up with it lately, but the last I knew, which was a few years ago, it was Quest Video had the rights to it. Ah. The video okay, I know that 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 rights, TV rights, or just any rights in general in Japan are very odd because I know that All Japan, the current All Japan, doesn't have the rights to the old Kings Road All Japan matches. Mm -hmm. 
And same thing with Noah, I think, um, after they left their, um, I think it was NHK that they were on, I believe. They lost the rights to those uh, matches. So, yeah, I, rights for things in Japan are, like, all over the place. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I own the Bushido name. Yeah. I have that, but that's different from the video library and everything. You know, if you wanted to, if you wanted an accurate answer, I'd have to make a few phone calls. I've kind of been, I haven't checked up in the past few years, but the last that I saw it, uh, Quest Video had uh, video rights to it. Actually, when we did the shoot wrestling pay per view, uh, the shooting crew was Quest Video, and we flew in the crew from HBO that did boxing matches and everything. Oh wow! And we wow. we made it, and and it was kind of tough because that was the pre-internet days. So actually, I. You know, when I was helping with the fights and everything, I had to run back to the the truck in the in the parking lot and look at them splice and editing it because it wasn't exactly live, but it was like a live delay. And we were using a satellite, and we we were using like we had like five black rotary phones in the truck, and I was calling America saying, "Can you see what we're sending to you?" Because they said if if there was bad weather down, you know, somehow like the signal would bounce, and if you had like rainy or cloudy areas, that sometimes it would. Uh, screw up the reception and it was kind of primitive and analog back at the time it came through luckily we did it wasn't like one of those things where everything turned to static the picture actually did bounce to the states and it, it turned out good it worked it did work mm-hmm. if anybody but, wants- I mean, anything could have gone wrong you know back in the day everything was uh yeah it, it wasn't like it was today oh yeah oh yeah probably most uh Infamous uh, snafu I can think of for a wrestling show was when that uh, what was it Halloween Havoc went o- went overtime. Christian was it was it? Halloween oh. Havoc '98. That was it. There was supposed to be a match between Diamond Dallas Page and Bill Goldberg, but like five minutes into the match, the show went off the air for most cable and satellite providers. Mm mm-hmm. uh, But I would like to leave off with a quote that uh, Sakuraba said after. Uh, he beat Marcus Silveria at the UFC Japan show. And I would like to say that, in fact, pro wrestling, professional wrestling, is strong. With that, Ted, we appreciate you talking to us, that we talked for so long about UWFI. It's been a pleasure talking about that and pro wrestling, MMA. Uh, hopefully we, we can see this uh, Real Japan return show in America uh, through Nico Nico. So, you know, we're happy that you're still in the, in the business. And, yeah, uh, you know, glad that, you know, you're still working uh, under uh, Sayama and bringing, you know, pro wrestling and MMA to us. Well, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, bring it back into the future. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's what we're working for. We're trying to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of tune-ups and everything, you know. It's like working on a... An old 1950s or 60s card, you know, it's 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 kind of like a work of love. It's love of labor or whatever you want to call it. You know, you have to attend to that thing and constantly be tuning it up. And I, I think that the, the pro wrestling industry, not just the in-ring action, but outside the way the business is run and the training is run, I think there's a lot of changes that should be made in the future to make it better. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course. Uh, and But with that, Ted, we want to wish you the uh, best of luck. We know it's also very late in Japan right now, so we feel bad that we're keeping you up. 
Uh, no, no problem. It uh, was a pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know, if you ever, you know, if you know, if there's ever another, you know, Real Japan show, you know, after this one, we would love to definitely, you know, if you can talk about it, you know, whatever you can talk about of it, or you know, anything, you know, anything in the pro wrestling MMA world that you're involved with, we would love to uh, work, uh, get you, uh, get get it out there to the world. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, brother. No problem, Ted. Take you're care welcome, now. Mr. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Later.